0: Monitor, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain
1: his nudity.
2: I'm not normally a praying
3: man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman.
0: Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've taught me, guys. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Lives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 82. Barely. <laughs> I'm shocked as hell that we're actually in any position to actually do this show. This week has turned into the worst shit show. Is there a better, more accurate term? I'm beginning to think we live on a hell mouth. It's oh, my God. It's all right. Here, here's the deal. Uh, we did our first uh, real quick Boston Comic Con wrap up uh, last week, and the intention was fully to do it like we did with C2E2 back in April. We just do a quick wrap-up show just with our mobile equipment because we were exhausted at the end of the con, and then jump right into editing the massive amount of panel audio that uh, we were able to get uh, from the convention, and then do a recap show earlier in the week, and then do a completely different non-convention-related show uh, for today. Yes. That did not work. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. This week has been the worst. Uh, legitimately, almost cursed. I think you're. I think you're right. Amanda. It's, it's, it's biblical. Uh, just almost literally. Not to that,
4: blaspheme or anything, but <laughs> there,
0: there is ungodly weather. There's oh, a legitimate plague.
4: There is a legitimate pla- Yeah. All right. So we we started out with a notice from the city in which we live, here in the lovely Boston area, uh, telling us that rats have been spotted in our neighborhood. So. You're on your own sucker? All right, no, but you can call us if you need help, but really you're on your own sucker?
0: Yeah, it was helpful hints, like, you know, if you have fruit trees, please gather the fruit from the ground. (laughs) (laughs) This is Boston, for fuck's sake. There's no (laughs) fruit trees around here.
4: No, but the neighbor who has, like, the... The toilet in their backyard that we can't pay to like have them haul it the fuck away.
0: <laughs> yeah, if there's if there's a source of the plague, yeah, it's we're in this little complex of townhouses, and there was like one holdout who wouldn't sell. Yeah, and it's just this horrible blue sided, cheap ass brick face front stoop, and just it, it, it's yeah. Awful. Uh, the the latest addition to the front yard is a supermarket cart. And there's Uh, a tire full of garbage, literally full of garbage. A tire full of kitchen garbage, uh, and also there's a mop bucket outside.
4: (laughs) Because so frequently when I want to wash
0: my floor. (laughs) Now, this isn't Alabama, um, and even if it was, there's no room in this front yard to put a car on blocks, but it really is the northeastern urban equivalent of, fuck it, I don't care anymore. Yeah, it's like a quarter
4: acre plot that could be Arkansas.
0: Yeah, so if there's a source to this plague, that's probably the the house. But <laughs> and it was one of those things when we got the notice, I figured we're in the city. I assumed there's rats around, but yeah. and, all right. But then, yeah, it was uh, toward the end of uh last week, the week before the convention, uh, I was walking up the street to hit Dunkin' Donuts, and yeah, it's out of the corner of my eye. This is like 6.30 in the morning, so it's just starting to get light. Out of the corner of my eye, oh, yeah, shit, there's a rat running across the neighbor's foundation. I guess there are rats in town. But uh what really got us was, yeah, was it Saturday on our way into the convention? Yes. We're, we're walking up the sidewalk, and Amanda lets loose a shriek. It, it came from the dark lizard part of my brain. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a, a the cold hand of Satan reached up your butthole and grabbed your soul by the vestigial tail. <laughs> just a just a sound of horror, and you point and yeah, in the fucking gutter on the street is the largest dead rat I've ever seen in my life. Yeah,
4: like Parker is not a large cat, but this was about I'd say half the size of Parker. This may have been a fair fight.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go Stephen King ish (laughs) graveyard shift. The size of puppies, but this was a disturbingly large pile of yeah Satan sent vermin. Yeah, around the corner from the home office. (laughs) So I immediately said I will have Terminex on the phone on Monday. Yes. Um. It wasn't even Monday. I called. Uh. I called when we got back on Saturday night and and set it up because uh we. When we first moved into the home office, we saw a mouse once, and that that was the only other time I've heard you shriek in that same way. It it just, unbidden, comes from some, some awful place. Yeah, so as of that year, I pay for Terminex for a full year every year, just in case something happens. You know, if there's an ant, <laughs> I got to think about spiders, if I see a spider bigger than my thumbnail... I just want to be able to call somebody and make it never was. Yeah, I want to wish it to the fucking cornfield with a phone call. Yeah. So
4: I grew up out in the sticks where, uh, you know, dad built the house and good on him because I I can't you know whack two planks together. Uh, but <laughs> that's not a euphemism. Damn it. <laughs> I was going yeah, to gonna build say, a, if it is, you're wrong, but go ahead. I tried to build a cat toy for Parker the other day, and it required more effort than I was willing to to deal with, and that wasn't even like with nails. Um, <laughs> and and so, upside, yeah, we had a roof over our head. Downside, uh, we were out in the sticks, so all of the vermin ever got in the... I, field mice are adorable until they're storing dry dog food in your closet. <laughs>
0: um same we, with midgets. I don't know why they do that. <laughs>
4: One time, uh, we had not just mice, but like shrews got in the house. And shrews are about the size of a mouse, a little bigger, but they're fucking vicious. Vicious. <laughs> and my dad would, you know, and I, I don't know how the dog tolerated it as long as she did, would put, um, knowing that they would go for the dry food, would leave her food in the bowl, wouldn't clean it up when she was done, not, you know, eating. Um, and then would put peanut butter on like a, a mouse you know, one of those whack a traps with the spring that they you see in like Tom and Jerry and
0: Yeah, that's the Victor trap. Yeah. Regular trap.
4: Um and and the shrew came for it, except that it wasn't strong enough to kill the shrew, so we just heard it go whack and then scuttle across the floor as it tried to crawl off in its death throes with the thing around its neck into the wall.
0: That's fucking <laughs> awful. That's <laughs> Jesus. Every time we talk about your childhood on this show, it makes me weep for humanity.
4: So, um, I'm an adult with a job and yeah, all vermin will perish. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's, it, it's literally a, it's a magic word, Terminex. Yeah. And we, we call it and stuff goes. And, uh, so, so yeah, I called him. We hadn't seen any evidence of any vermin in the house. Which was a positive. Yes. Because in my head, this was, I figured I would have noticed rat droppings. I just figured they would have been bigger mouse droppings. Right. But it's also, nothing had gotten to uh, the cat's food.
4: Yeah, and, and we know from experience what it looks like when a mouse gets in in your living space here in an urban setting, because you had to deal with it at one of the apartments you were in. Yeah. And that was a whole long nightmare of steel wool and shitty landlords and that expanding foam shit that yeah, and, and <laughs> destroyed like a cutting board of mine.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, literally it, it was a case of I don't think they're in the house, but I want Terminex out here to create a Maginot line.
4: <laughs> no, they don't want a Maginot line because they can get around that.
0: Well, I was going to say except for rats <laughs> and that works. Um so, so yeah. We're Defcon. DEF <laughs> CON. <laughs> sure. But, but so yes, then I had the nice man come out in a panic on Monday and he went through the entire house and said, so there's absolutely no sign that any rat has been in here. I'd be surprised in this kind of environment if they even tried to get in, but let me put more poison bait out in the uh, garage and these are the things to look for and then call us back. So that was a relief. That was Monday. And the good news was I got that out of the way because Tuesday at my day job was one of those, hey, you've done a great job. Let's go out to uh Natick, which is out on the Mass Pike, a little outside of Boston, and go to the big IMAX theater to watch the new Mission Impossible Stadium movie. Seating Exactly. Yeah. So it's you don't even have to do you don't have to do anything with work. We're just going to go straight to this movie. And, hey, that's great. So we got there early afternoon. And
4: you can tell they like you because they took you guys to Mission Impossible and not the Fantastic Four. Yeah. That's,
0: <laughs> that's what the show was originally supposed to be about. But we're going to get back to that. So it's like, all right, great. We'll we'll go do this. And then, yeah, I'll be home early. No problem at all. And you know drive out to the movie theater in this town. I don't know very well. Uh, drive out with the top down and go to the movie and walk out and it looks like the painting of a post-apocalyptic scene from the last 15 minutes of Angel. It's the sky is gunmetal gray, like in the way it's going to shoot you. And it's, oh my God. So yeah, I'd get back again in the convertible and start driving just as the rain starts to fall. And then I'm like, what the hell is that? Is something shooting at me? It's the first hail that I have seen in New England in personally in 40 fucking years.
4: Oh god, yeah. I, I I know I saw some as a child. I don't think I've seen some until just this storm. So yeah, we, they talk about like plagues, all right, we get the vermin going, storms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it it was Parker was beside himself. I cuz I was back here at the home office. He 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 felt we were under attack. And there was nowhere to go. And we kind of were. <laughs> and I was watching these things bounce off our windows going, okay, everything's tempered, right? Nothing's going to break. Have you ever cut a hailstone open? Uh, no. Um, hail happens because it comes down frozen and it gets kicked back up into the atmosphere again and again and again until finally it's heavy enough to drop. If you cut one open, it's just layers inside like an onion of ice. <laughs>
0: Which is appropriate because I did weep, but anyway.
4: <laughs> and and so we had ping pong ball, golf ball size hail bouncing off of every surface outside our house.
0: <laughs> yes, but again, I was not at the house. I was in a city that I don't know very well. Right. In a convertible. <laughs> I'm literally driving down Route 9 in my standard shift convertible, left hand on the steering wheel, Right hand floating <laughs> over my head like I'm trying to hold my soul in just in case some of this hail punches through my ragtop and goes for my brain pan. Yeah, that's no good. In, in the meantime, yeah, it's bouncing off my fin. I mean, I've got a reasonably nice car. It's not, you know, a Porsche or anything, but it, it's something – I've had it for six years. It's paid off. It's low mileage. I take really good care of it. And my day job is in the, the little burrow as – It's not really the word, but the little part outside of Boston. I work in the same place where I live. Right. So if I'd heard hail on the radio, I'm home in 15 minutes in the garage. I'm in this town. I don't know where to find cover to save my fucking soul. (laughs) Start knocking on doors. Hi.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So have you accepted Jesus into your life? And can I use your garage?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So so then Wednesday was let's get the car to a wash and try to figure out what the damage is. And it, it certainly could be worse, but. You know, now it's okay. I have to try to file an insurance claim on the day after a hailstorm, which means everybody in the goddamn world is trying to file an insurance claim. Right. So finally I got that set up. And then Friday, it's like, all right, let me, let me get, get ready to go to work. I think all this stuff's out of the way. And it's in the morning. The sun has just come up, which means things are starting to heat up. And I hear the air conditioning kick on. And it sounds like somebody's trying to put a chainsaw through the compressor. Jesus. It's just this terrible sound. oh, shit. So the mistake I made was I called the HVAC people and said, everything is still working, but. Yeah. Which meant they're like, oh, this isn't an emergency. We'll get back to them whenever. Sure enough, yesterday at 10 o'clock at night, the thing completely quits. There's no air conditioning whatsoever. The good news is... After the hailstorm on Tuesday, the humidity's kind of low today and it's really relatively temperate. But it, here's the thing I'll warn you right now. We've been kind of lucky the first few minutes of this show. Uh, We've got the windows wide open. There's a fan running in the studio, which normally isn't the case. This show might sound like utter shit. You might hear the shrieking of dying rats from outside or, or the neighbor blasting his, you know, 6.4 liter. Mustang engine yeah, that he likes that to tune up on Sundays. Very
4: happy to work on every weekend loudly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you could hear just about anything, uh, during this show, uh, including panel audio. That's the only positive. I was finally, literally an hour and a half ago, able to finish pulling panel audio from Boston Comic Con.
4: You did yeoman's work. I mean, th- you got together all of the audio within a week of the, the convention all by yourself.
0: All while God was actively trying to fuck me up. (laughs) Aspiring to kill
4: you, yes. Now, there are people that are still putting up panel stuff from like San Diego
0: (laughs) on other sites. Yeah. And, and the sad thing is we probably have more audio here than we can even use during the show. Um, here's how it, it played out. Uh, we went to, like we mentioned in last week's show, four panels during Boston Comic Con. Uh, we did the Spider Verse panel, which was the very first panel of the convention on Friday morning. Uh, the Marvel Universe panel. The IDW comics panel and the DC comics panel. Yes. So, which is even more panels than we really got to, um, that were on point and worth recording at C2E2. Right. So, yeah, sort of the rule of thumb when editing audio is, yeah, for every hour, uh, take two and a half hours, uh, which sort of worked out. So, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a lot of time yeah. pulling stuff out. There were some great quotes in it. Um, there were really interesting panels, really to a one, everyone very different. Yeah. You know, not just in the sense of subject, but in how the people involved presented information, uh took questions, responded to certain things. So yeah, we'll we'll get to as much of it as we can. How are we doing on time already, just so we can uh
4: Oh, uh, we've been yammering for about sixteen minutes.
0: Well, it's <laughs> it's been that kind of week. When God tries to kill you, you're <laughs> I feel gonna like have you want
4: to tell the world just in case
0: you leave a record. Yeah. <laughs> we, <'cause>, yeah. <laughs> We could be struck by lightning leaving the house. At the... any moment. Right. So, yes. Uh, if that happens, avenge me. <laughs> you hear me? <laughs> it's your internet buddy, Rob. Uh-huh. I want you to avenge me. All five of you, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. I think we're up to like eight. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, do we just... Uh, Want to dive into uh, Spider Verse? Let's do this. All right, so so we'll start out with the Spider Verse panel uh, was attended. Uh, the panel was Ricky Purden, who is a relatively new uh, talent manager for Marvel, um, not an, an editor or anything, as far as I I can tell. Yeah, I, I
2: don't. I don't know. Uh,
0: but it was also Jason Latour, who uh, right now is the writer of Spider Gwen, uh, mm-hmm. also the artist on Southern Bastards. Yep. Uh, artist Nick Bradshaw, who is currently the artist for Spider Verse, and Stacy Lee, who's the artist for Silk. So, yeah, I mean, uh, overall, before we start going into, into some of the audio, what was your sort of impression of this, this panel? Number one, it was kind of low-key. It, was since, low it key. was since it was 11 a.m. on Friday, if the room was a quarter full, I'd be shocked.
4: And poor it's, Stacey Lee got lost somewhere on the T, which is the Boston subway
0: system. Well, <laughs> it, if it's your first time on the T, that's what happens. I think it's designed to do it.
4: Possibly. <laughs> there, there's a whole song called um, Charlie and the MTB,
0: MBTA. Yeah, well, at the time it was the MTA, yeah. And New York got to it first, right?
4: It right. About animal. this some guy who, oh, he never returned. No, he never returned. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, and, and as soon as Stacey Lee walked up on the, because yeah, they had already announced she was on her way. Yeah. But she was, you know, lost on the T. When she finally showed up, the first thing somebody in the crowd yelled out is, "Yeah, welcome to Boston." <laughs> it's how it is. It really is.
4: But it was it was an intimate panel in, in a good way. It, it wasn't very full. I, it would have been nice if there were more folks there. But just in terms of, I think the the back and forth between the panel um, and the attendees, a lot of a lot of folks got to be able to have access to ask questions.
0: Yeah, and they did give out a little bit of uh of information. It was it was weird. I don't want to get too much into it ahead of time. But having done both a DC and a couple of Marvel panels the way that they provided information was very different. Just the way in between this and the Marvel Universe panel, which we'll get to next, uh, did. This one at least had some tidbits about what was coming out and uh, some of the the things that they had in the pipeline, whereas the Marvel Universe panel was really, hey, we brought all these people, uh, ask us questions, and uh, about a third of the answers about, hey, what's coming, were, "Uh, just stick around. Yeah. So... So there at least was some information here. Right.
4: Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that when we get into the Marvel Universe panel, I think a little bit
0: more. Yeah. So, and, and here's part of the problem is I did these first few clips on Monday morning, waiting for somebody to tell me if, uh, vermin were going to eat my face in the night. <laughs> my, uh, my notes on these are not as good as they could be, but, uh, yeah, here's, a uh, here's something from, uh, Jason Latour that I just put down. Why Spider Gwen number one?
4: Okay. Yeah. So just to, Little background here. Um, Jason Latour talks about Spider Gwen, um, for a good, upfront, like a good chunk of time. Yeah. Um, because that's probably one of the most popular new, not new characters, but new directions for a character. Um, and who had previously been a cherished legacy character to whom nothing was to be done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you'll,
0: you'll hear it in here, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. All right. So let only fire this uh, okay. this first one from Jason Latour.
5: think and Dan had, like, devised sort of a list of potential characters that they might want to spin out of, like, you know, create new characters out of. And most of them were Spider-Man-supporting characters. And Gwen was the one that terrified and interested me the most. Yeah. I was kind of like, that could be really terrible, and I think I'd like to be the man to ruin that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: A bold thing to say you want to ruin Gwen Stacy, yeah, but
0: but you know what? One of the creative team from Southern Bastards, you expect a certain amount of that kind of sense of humor from it.
4: Although, you want to say, like, but Straczynski already got there, he already ruined her, pal. Oh, <laughs> like...
0: Jesus, yeah, turning Gwen into a hero and an inspiration that's that's yeah. not ruining, yeah. Oh, the sins past storyline. I really like J. Michael Straczynski, the stuff that he does is good is really good and when he decides uh fuck it I had a thought man
4: things can go wrong ruined Gwen Stacy with Norman Osborne's dick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Osborne's dick and Straczynski pushing that's not a title. We that's not a title. A we title. can't use
4: that. So so we appreciate that Jason Latour is taking the time to to fix Gwen.
0: <laughs> yes, and, and he had some more on it. I have this other thing, helpfully noted, uh, why Spider Gwen too? <laughs> why don't we go straight into that? No, I really like. I said
5: like that one really it, it intrigues me because as a kid growing up, um, you were just not supposed to touch Gwen Stacy. Right. You know, I mean, plenty of people did, but like the sort of the unspoken rule
0: was that Gwen Stacy is dead. yeah, yep. Straczynski touched her. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll move on.
5: When Uncle Ben and Bucky were the characters that were supposed to <laughs> right, right. and having worked on Winter Soldier, I think had no, had a large impact on the way I thought about that sort of stuff because I got to see firsthand how like like Ed had sort of like you know turned Bucky into a viable character yeah. It's
0: Ed Brubaker, by the way.
4: And I, Yeah, and if you're going to take notes um, from anybody on how to...
0: How to, to bring someone back from the dead.
4: Bring someone back from the dead, or to, to completely take a character and move them in a different direction, because I, I still, his Catwoman run is one of my favorites. Oh,
0: Jesus, yeah. So <laughs> you, you can do better than
4: following Ed Brubaker. Yeah.
5: So that was no small part in the back of my head, you know. But also, like it intrigued me that like I didn't know who Gwen Stacy really was. Right. I just knew the legacy of Gwen Stacy, and I thought that was kind of a shame. That like, especially like when I stood back from it, I I felt like there's clearly a, a story to tell here, um, and I didn't really know what it was until I started thinking about who I wanted to work with, and that was Robbie Enrico, and I knew that we all had sort of a common interest in like music, and I knew I wanted to do like a book that. Explored uh sort of the teen superhero trope but in a way that like felt more relatable to being an artist or being a creative person so i sort of slept on it and i woke up the next morning with like a whole pitch in my head and i pitched it to nick and fortunately he said yes and everybody actually bought it <laughs> <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> well i mean it, it's it's an interesting way to go with i don't remember and certainly i i it's, at one point or another, I've probably read all of those old Gwen Stacy issues yeah. um, at one point or another between Marvel Tales and the, the Marvel Essential volumes mm-hmm. and just shit being reprinted. I don't remember any musical background from Gwen Stacy other than going out to dance with all the other kids at yeah. Pop's Diner or whatever the <laughs> fuck it was. But, so it's an interesting way to go. It's like, all right, well, let's let's make this kind of relatable to something that is modern and interesting to the the particular creator. So it's not a bad way to go. Yeah. It certainly worked.
4: Um but I, it was just really interesting to to listen to him talk about it and and say that you know because it is the most terrifying direction to go into one should embrace it and run to it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, what the hell? I mean, if nothing else we've determined that nobody dead in comics is sacred. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even up until 15 years ago, yeah, the big trio was wasn't even the trio. Uh, it was Uncle Ben. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Gwen Stacy, Jason Todd, <laughs> all done. Uh, That's three. You said trio, yeah. so yeah, I know, but I fucked that up. Uh, Barry Allen was one. <laughs> uh, Bucky. So yeah, there were characters you couldn't touch, and shit. Even Uncle Ben in Spider Verse got a <laughs> call back to be a fucking spider character. Yeah. So. So yeah, it's you know he clearly was excited to be working on it, and particularly excited since uh this could have gone really fucking sideways.
4: It already went sideways under Straczynski. He, there was only
0: one way and it was up. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um Alright, so we also had uh Nick Bradshaw there. He's gonna be doing a more all ages uh version of Spider-Man book yeah. called Spidey, which immediately makes me think of Spidey super stories. Yeah. I'm always gonna be somewhat nostalgic for that. You know, will I buy an all-ages Spidey book? Uh, I might give it a shot, but Spidey Super Stories on Electric Company, if there was a gateway drug to get me into comics, that was it. Yeah. (laughs) Arguably, that ruined my fucking life. (laughs) But, uh, so yeah, Bradshaw's working on that, so here's a sort of, (laughs) yeah, it shows how shitty my notes were early on in this process. What Spidey is. What's great about
1: it is it harkens back to a lot of the, uh fun stuff the fun adventure stuff that you know we used to get out of our comics like I like some good overreaching storylines like anybody else but sometimes I find comics can be a little too cynical and you've got to go back to like what made these great for everybody like I mean adults as well as kids could be picking these books up and immediately jump right into it and it's just it's a fun adventure more fun adventure getting rid of some of that cynicism that's there Dealing with it, but you know, just saying, okay, we're going to have fun with Peter Parker. He's going to be the awkward teenager again, which is a lot of fun. I, I'm not sure yet. Uh, and I'm not sure if I can say anything if it goes down to how it's going to fit in continuity. But it's uh, it's just it's a fun book again, dealing with Peter Parker that we grew up with, and uh, sort of expanding on that universe as
0: well. I don't know where he's from, but every time he said again, mm-hmm. uh, i like, where the hell is, he? is that? Is that Canadian?
4: I don't know, I, but he opened the panel with uh See, everybody, everybody watched the game last night. He was wearing a socks hat. So, yeah,
0: all right. Yeah, I respect that. That's I, don't, right. I forgot about that.
4: I don't know where he's from, though.
0: Hey. <laughs> Believe me, if anybody knows the Red Sox, if anybody knows Boston at all, you, you come in and you at least pretend you like that team. Yeah. That, that's a good way to avoid a hand injury, <laughs> which, which, you say a game. But, uh, actually, uh, taking a look at this, you know, of course you turned away from the, uh, the list of man. Um, do we want to go back to Spider Gwen real quick? There's a couple things from Latour on uh, what Frank Castle's doing, and
4: well, let's let's talk about Spidey for a second, unless you unless you've had every,
0: said everything that you have to say about Spidey. That's really it's one of those things. I'll I'll have nostalgia for it, you know. I'm I'm an old man, in all ages Spidey. It, it might be fun. I'll, I'll take a look at it, but it's also one of those with everything coming out of Secret Wars. Yeah, And all ages it when you got Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and all the other characters, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm not necessarily thinking I'm the target audience for that. It's kind no, of but I, cool... I
4: think it speaks to, because um, we talked about this going through the, the clips before the show, it, at least in the, the Spider-Verse portion of the Marvel universe, they seem to be making a really concerted effort to have characters that meet representation needs for everybody. Definitely. And I think all ages Spidey, you know, for those of you that are bitter about how things have gone
0: down with other
4: characters, (laughs) there's your Spider-Man. There he is. He's in high school.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I suppose there's your isolated old school Peter Parker. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking up all over the place, but then he puts the costume on. Yeah.
4: And if you're looking for the classic character to introduce your young comic reader, yeah. (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, and it was interesting in this, in, in this panel and what they've done with the Spider-Verse recently, which is, and, and, they're, they're, we've got a clip uh, later on talking about certain pieces of it, so I'm not sure how far ahead I want to get. But Spider-Man for a very long time was, yep, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And he is in, granted, three or four different Spider-Man titles, hmm. but that's where he is. You know, he is, he, he can't be in the Avengers. He can't be in the Fantastic Four. Spider-Man only works in this particular kind of environment, in this particular kind of book. And over the last, say, 15 years, a lot of that has been broken down from when Bendis put him in New Avengers, mm-hmm. uh, and then Hickman put him in, uh, Future Foundation. Right. And, you know, now with Spider-Verse, it's not just yeah. You know, oh, there's one particular. Now there are so many different Spider characters. It's almost like you know the Nick Lowe from uh, who's the editor of the Batman Group, who we'll hear from in a little while, saying there should be a Batman book for everybody. Yeah. It's like they've decided okay, there should be a Spider-Man book for everybody. Right. You know, and the various different uh, genders, races. Countries of origin. There's literally a Spider Man from everywhere coming out of the Spider Verse. Yeah. So it's just, it's interesting to me how Spider Man, who always was just this very particular pigeonholed, he can only work in this way, now is sort of becoming the image of, no, it can be anything to anyone.
4: Well, because I think that, at least in spirit, the feeling was, I could be Spider Man. I mean, if I ran into, you know, a radioactive spider and didn't die, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I'm I'm that person who who didn't um, who was unassuming in high school and you know wasn't one of the popular kids and it, I mean yeah I did do sports and like Peter but the, the, the,
0: <laughs> you would have given me such a fucking wedgie we no would, I wouldn't have <laughs> <laughs> we've already talked about we wouldn't have liked each other in high school
4: <laughs> but it, that's supposed to you know there's a a certain Portion of your soul that's supposed to sort of go, yeah, Peter, I get you. You could be me. Yeah. And now they're, they're doing that, but just by creating all of these different spider characters so that there is, you know, if Spider, Spider Man, Peter Parker doesn't 100% speak to you, then maybe Spider Gwen does, or maybe Spider Ham does, or maybe, um, Silk does, or. <laughs> well, I
0: do, I do have a couple of, uh, a couple of clips from uh on that subject want to just move right to those sure. all right so i've got uh jason latour uh talking basically about that subject personally
5: like if i remove myself from like working on these books i think that is sort of what's interesting about the spider-verse so to speak nowadays is it like the power of spider-man to me and this was a key when we were putting gwen together has always been that like that mask means that with the face covered it means it can be anybody behind that mask and I think that like it's interesting to see it be anyone I think that like has really in all these books given them sort of a shot in the arm so to speak it's not to say that they weren't doing great Spider-Man stuff when it was largely just about Peter but it, it's just interesting to see that the like to me the power of like the, the spider person mythos has only proven to be like much more potent and powerful when it is applied to other kinds of people you know and like you said like as uh you know that dusty old white american hetero male like <laughs> i particularly like writing a book like this because i'm forced to ask myself questions about the world and i think that's what uh, any writer should
0: do depend it doesn't matter what genre or what medium you work in you know? all right so we've also got uh excuse me uh stacy lee uh talking about silk in sort of a a similar vein yeah just go right to that sure all right people are
1: really happy to have an asian american super heroine and i am happy too because i'm also mixed asian and it's great to see that but all my fans are from all races because personality wise she can be identified by all kinds of people and i think that's really important too So, you know, that's the sign of good writing is anyone should be able to relate. You don't have to be a Korean girl to relate to Silk or, you know, a young white man to relate to Peter Parker.
4: And that's really important.
0: Well, thank God, because I kind of like
4: Silk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that also uh, you can make that argument about why why Ms. Marvel has become so popular. If it's if it's a character that you relate to on any level and that you want to root for, it's the character is going to become popular.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, there's a long history of writing young white dudes in comics because, well, part of it is for a long time we were most in the audience. Yeah. yeah. So why not hedge your bets if you think 90% of who's picking up the book is going to, but it's turned out clearly over time that's not really the case, particularly now. It's a much wider audience of people who read comics. Yes. And, and that subject was gotten to uh, a lot in this particular panel.
4: I thought there were some, some very, um, respectful questions, um, that were answered in, in thoughtful fashion by the panel. Uh, because it has been a hot button issue in comics for some time now, and it seems to continue
0: to, to be that way. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is not the first panel, not not this panel. This is not the first convention we've been to. It's not even uh, the first 10 conventions we've been to where there were panels where people got up ostensibly to ask a question, but really what they wanted to do was push an agenda. And I'm of mixed feelings about that. On one hand, it makes me uncomfortable to be in the crowd because it makes panels uncomfortable. Mm. On the other hand... If you want people to face your issue, I'm not sure how else you do that. You can vote with your dollar, but that's a very blunt instrument.
4: Yeah, it's it's a challenging thing. I I try to I, I hear where you're coming from with the agenda piece. I I know there are some out there for whom it is an agenda, but I think there are an equal, if not hopefully more numerous, group out there for it. it's not an agenda. It's it's how they feel. They, they, they want to see the representation. So they want to, and again, in this panel in particular, there were some very nice, respectful questions and back and forth about thank you for writing this character. Whereas, yeah, we've been in other ones where it's like, why don't I have so and so? Because, you know, and
0: <laughs> yeah, for all the represent, for all the, all the reputation Boston gets about being very much and it's deserved a town where it's like fuck you no sir fuck you <laughs> um yeah there there were it was generally not confrontational in the, in the dc panel there was that one question i i had an issue with where yeah uh, i didn't pull audio on it but but i timed it and the question in quotes was a minute and 45 seconds and the answer came down to about 30 seconds of uh, I'm I'm not sure about what you're talking about. I don't think that's the case, but I will look into it when I get back to my office.
4: Yeah, and then we we had a conversation after that panel where it's like, "All right, so for a question like that, do you need to spend the minute 45 seconds when you've acknowledged that it's a question that um could have been addressed to a colorist who was not on the panel?" Yeah. <laughs> um so it could could you have gone to somebody's table and Asked that at the table,
0: <laughs> but it's that's why I'm of two minds of it. You know, again, it it makes me uncomfortable, but that doesn't necessarily. Not everything is about me.
4: Yeah, I, it, I think that's is, the other. That's the other piece. It's it's not it, for for those of us who are are comfortable in our reading habits and in, and in what we're seeing. It it is not about us.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's if it's the most important thing in your world, these convention panels are the one way to put people literally on the spot immediately and force them to either try and weasel out of it, which I think is half of what caused the problems in, was it 2011 with San Diego Batgirl? Yeah. Was, uh, yeah, the visual was, number one, that was difficult to sit through because after the first couple you'd go and you'd see her in line and, and, yeah, as somebody who gets uncomfortable with that, it's like, oh, God, we're going to do this again. Well, and but, so did
4: some of the panels because some of the panels, they they shut down questions
0: before she got to the mic. Which is the worst possible thing they could have done because yeah. it, it really indicated that she had a point, and that's the thing she probably did. You know, particularly at the time, not too many women were writing for DC Comics and yeah. post-New 52. Oof. Yeah, the, the <laughs> audience... <laughs> we got a good clip on that one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the they clearly were shooting for an audience of teenage boys. Yeah. So yeah, she had a point and the people who had questions in this probably had a point. It's like I said, I'm of two minds. I hate being there while it happens. Cause like, Oh shit, man, I just want to hear about this. But uh, well, on the other hand, it's uh, all right. You got to get your point out. I suppose, you know, better this than picketing in the comic store. I, I don't know. I, I think
4: to a certain degree since, you know, we have a podcast. You know, we're, we're in a world now where information is out there immediately and, and things that happen in conventions go out on the wire instantaneously. It's not like it's trickling out days or weeks later. Right. Um, and conversations, you know, you used to be able to write letters to the editor and then they could kind of pick and choose what goes to the letters to the editor in the back of the comic book. <laughs> right now now you have an open open forum um in places like these conventions where there can be reaction to answers that come out of those panels um that will cause people to have opinions <laughs> yep both positively and negatively and also people have their tumblers they have their internet forums they <laughs> yeah. they're. There is a a vocal online publication presence and fan interaction
0: presence. Oh, totally! It's uh, technology is awesome. Look at it this way. Yeah, twenty years ago, these things would have been reported. Actually, they wouldn't have because the only uh, the only arm would have been Wizard. Yeah. So if this came up, it would have been mocking the people asked the i que- Asking the questions if they even
4: covered it at all.
0: Yeah, which they probably wouldn't. Now 20 years later, you know, shit, man, it's a week later and for not very much money and equipment, you know, we're not just telling you what they say. No, we've got exactly what they said. <laughs> I, I got it right here. I can give it to you. And so, you know,
4: again, I, I get where you're coming from in terms of, uh, it's one of those questions again. I feel uncomfortable, but I've, I've, I think I've gotten inured to it and I've, I've gotten to a place where, I'm happy to hear them have really meaningful back and forth um, in order to to address those questions. And I think whether it it would have happened or not, it seems as though we are getting much more interesting characters that are coming out of these discussions that are, are finding their ways into
0: books. Oh, yeah, totally. Look. I don't need another white guy.
4: Well, and also I, I say that having, you know, kind of revised my position. If, if I go back and listen to some of uh, the comments I made in like earlier, and to be fair, like in the first 10 or so of these podcasts, I was very drunk. Um,
0: <laughs> you and me both, baby.
4: <laughs> where I was like, ah, I let them, let them write their own stories. Yeah. Well, you know, taking a, a broader view, they could write their own stories and those stories won't necessarily have the same reach as the ones that come out of the big two. So if, if these conversations are having a positive effect in terms of types of characters that we'll see all right it's good that they had those conversations even if it's at the discomfort of those who were the status quo
0: yeah well all right let's go back to audio cuz here's something again with the positives of the changes that you know have been made in the last 4 or 5 years in trying to be more inclusive okay. you know, both in, in creators and in characters. Uh, here's Nick Bradshaw uh, talking about uh, his observations of Free Comic Book Day over the last few
1: years. Free Comic Book Day is one of the best gauges for what's going on in the industry too. Look, I've been doing Free Comic Book Day at my local shop for the last 10 years and what I love is before I'd see guys like me you know, walking in there who grew up with these characters. We had the standard that we appreciated. But over the years, you start seeing, like you were saying, not the typical nerd who used to pick up the books. You've got like guys coming in with suits, bringing their families, um, more women coming into the shops, kids coming into the shops. And every year, this year was probably the most versatile, you know, group of people that we saw. Like, just, it was awesome because there was a little something for everybody. And like, you want to start seeing it. But it's also new stories being told with different heroes like Sam Wilson, you know, like like the new Spider-Man
0: character. So, and actually I've got uh, one more back and forth uh, talking about New Comic Book Day. This is uh, Jason Latour and Nick Bradshaw. Hmm. Yeah, as a kid growing
5: up the thing that that bothered me the most about being a comics reader was that it felt like you were
0: being sort of like put in a box
5: yep. yeah. you know like it was a thing that you
0: that in junior high school I think I was literally put in a box once or twice that was your locker uh, okay yeah that's it oh no toilet stall because there, there was something swirly that's all I really remember <laughs> and you a lot out. of people I think
5: have uh, unreasonably held on to that like sort of uh, that idea that it's theirs and theirs alone yep. and as a kid all I ever wanted was all my friends to read these books too and so like I can't imagine how amazing and like, exciting
0: You're you're no longer allowed to drink water. (laughs) See, the problem is I've got a pretty good handheld recorder, but it's just handheld. So some of these things you'll hear grinding as I'm shifting the thing back and forth. And I think we got one really good one where you can hear Amanda go for pills. (laughs)
4: Latour is making a really great point here, by the way, about how how it, it was important to want to share these with your friends. And friends didn't always understand why you were reading these. Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah. By the time I got to junior high school, I don't think I had any friends who read comic books.
4: Yeah. And there's also a, um, a clip you have here of Stacey Lee talking about how comics, if you're a girl and to the guys to a certain degree and you were trying to read comics in the nineties.
0: Yeah. How,
4: (laughs) how, how the world looked to you if you were a comic book reader.
0: (laughs) All right. I'll get to that one next, but first let me, uh, let me finish this one up. So yeah, this is a still about. Kids reading the comics these days. Yeah. Damn kids.
1: You had enthusiasm way enthusiasm is just addictive. When you see these kids coming in and the game, like I am telling you, there was like a point where I don't think I had a kid under the age of fifteen that was coming into a shock. And the last recon book they have half my line were kids under the age of ten that were looking for stuff to get sketched and excited, talking about the characters and knowing about the characters. So I mean to me that was great. Like that's a generation of people who will be able to take their money from <laughs>
0: And isn't that really what it's all about? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're just leaving money on the fucking table. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, yeah, let me get to the, uh, Stacey Lee, uh, Jason Latour, uh, back and forth about, uh, yeah, the, what, what it was like. It was like this for dudes, too. There's a reason I switched to almost just only vertigo in the nineties after the image <laughs> explosion. Okay. Revolution. Whatever. Goddamn computer.
1: I remember uh, seeing comics, and everyone looked like they were from
6: Wrestlemania. Yeah. And it was so wow. hard to relate to that. And I remember just being a little girl, and, and I love drawing, I love art, but it just, oh, I could not in connect. the books they looked
5: like Wrestlemania?
4: What did you, oh, what did you think you
5: made, of? Yeah, I thought you the mean,
6: like the people in the store
5: yeah. shop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. so
4: sorry. <laughs> But I think his reaction sums it up. Like you were saying, like no, it looked like this to to, to dudes too. He took it you know, even if he was just sort of like you know shitting on her, uh, which he wasn't really. But no. like his his comment was, "Oh, oh, you meant in the books." Like I understood exactly what she meant as soon as she said it.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I also did. Look, as somebody who was in his twenties when Image really took off. You know, yeah, 20s aren't the most mature in the world, but, you know, I wasn't a kid going, oh, show me something awesome. Show me Batman blowing people up with rockets or shit like that. It was, yeah, when when Image first took off, you know, I really liked Todd McFarlane as an artist, but I could see immediately when it's, like, okay, here's my property. It's Spawn. It's like, you just took everything that you ever thought was cool when you were in seventh grade and plastered it on the there's Spider Man's mask and Batman's cape and Ghost Rider's chains and there's some Doctor Strange in there and some Venom. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's I I get what you're doing. You and, threw him in the Vitamix and I am not the target audience for this.
4: So, but you know, I, I was I was I was working with uh, teenagers at that time, and it, it was for them. My God,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I had when I graduated college, and you know there were some associated new friends around with old friends who hadn't left town at all, who were younger. They would say, "Oh yeah, you got to read Grifter." That's the one I specifically remember, and <laughs> I, it's like, okay, but wait, this is a guy with with two guns. What does that have to do with the short con? It's <laughs> it's hard to get money out of people when you've shot them in the face. No, you have to start with uh, the fucking con. <laughs> You're not even doing a dip on these people. He's Fundamental
4: lack of understanding of the name of the character.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's. How am I going to be excited? It's like, let's take a cool word and slap it on a character. Grifter to me, <laughs> Grifter to me is everything that was wrong with comics in the 90s. Yeah. That was a movie and a cool word. I'm stealing that to put on this other character.
4: Also, he wears a bandana. Oh, yeah. Well. I can't even be bothered to come up with a costume. Here, have a bandana. Because bandanas
0: is cool, I guess. <laughs> what It's a
4: bandana man. with eye holes.
0: So, <laughs> so yeah, it's a, this is one of those panels where, yeah, there was a ton of stuff about uh, diversity and, yeah, it's a, a whole bunch of really good points that were made. It's, it's We're going back through it. It's like, yeah, that really was sort of a an overriding theme on it. Yeah. Is there any... taking a look at the list before we move on to the next one. Anything here? Did I miss any of the funny ones or... Just um, one last blast.
4: I think play the one on, on, um, Bradshaw's feelings about killing a particular character. If only because later on, I know that you have a clip from another writer
0: who talks about killing characters. Yeah. Okay. Just so,
4: to, just to, the dichotomy. Okay. So yeah,
0: <laughs> this is, uh, completely unrelated, but, uh, yeah, Nick Bradshaw talking about, uh, in Wolverine and the X-Men, killing Brew. This
1: is an addition to Wolverine and the X-Men. I love the character Brew. He was just the sweet little guy I got to play with, you know, he was great. Drew little panels with him, I get great emails from people saying, oh, look, this character is really awesome, that's what I want to hear. And then he sends you these scripts, like I get scripts that are like, you know, five months ahead of time, and all of a sudden I'm like, Brew gets shot in the head. Like, whoa, okay. Um, <laughs> Am I drawing this issue? No, I, couldn't. I really couldn't draw that issue. <laughs> and then when the issue came out and it had a different artist on it, it was great because so people come up and say, I can't believe you killed Bruce. I, like, I know. I refused to draw that issue. <laughs> 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 That's Jason Aaron. Here's his email. <laughs> 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 Shoot, I know. I, I had nothing to do it. <laughs> that was kind of
2: awesome.
4: <laughs> 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 because it, it, the nice thing about this panel, again, there was a, a – wide variety of conversations the um the artists and writers involved with the panel were able to talk a little bit about where their titles are going um and then just sort of open the floor up to questions and they took all kinds of questions so that was an
0: example of one yeah after after it sort of became free form <laughs> yeah whereas the uh, the Marvel universe panel which was was that later on that day or was that Saturday it was Saturday okay so yeah this is a much more packed one and it was really much more this was a ticketed panel that
4: sold out. Right. So
0: it was a packed room.
4: Um, and they had no, uh, any, they had no agenda for the panel. It was basically like, hi, we're here. Ask us what you want to ask us.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was uh, nothing to announce. It was, they had a ton of creators there, but yeah, it was, it was really just question and answer. They were, they were flat out up front. Yeah. Yeah. To the point where the audience went, oh, <laughs> why'd we run here? Yeah. You're not gonna tell us anything. <laughs> right. But uh, there was some fun stuff in the panel. Um, with God as my witness, we will get Frank Thierry on this show. I oh. don't know how we're going to do it. <laughs> He's one funny motherfucker. He was the life of that panel. Apparently we if some... we offer him a particular thing. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got some some good quotes from him on this. But yeah, the uh, attendance on this panel was uh, Ricky Purden, again, was the moderator. uh, had uh, writer Jerry Duggan, uh, artist Phil Noto, writer Frank Thierry, uh, artist Erica Henderson, uh, artist Frank Brunner, uh, who didn't do a ton with the panel, but actually he was one of the original artists on Howard the Duck.
4: Uh, and he had he had a couple of good things to say.
0: Yeah. So he's not doing, I I don't think he's doing anything with Marvel right now, but it was kind of nice to have one of the, you know, old guard creators yeah. on there. Uh, who else we have? Uh, writer Joshua Williamson, artist Joe Canonez, who's on the current Howard the Duck, and artist Humberto Ramos. So yeah, it's, this panel was really a case of... We're happy to meet you, but we can't tell you anything. We can't anything. tell you anything, yeah. And just sort of, you know, asking questions, so.
4: Well, cause a lot of fans, you know, Marvel is involved in, in Se- Secret War, Battle World, end of days, depending on where you are in a particular
0: title at this point. <laughs> yeah, the end of the world, no matter what, is what it comes down to.
4: And so, fans understandably have questions. <laughs> um, but it feels as though you know this particular group, unlike the Spider Verse panel, and in later on, what we'll see with DC, they have a very short leash on what they're allowed to say, if anything, about those titles going forward, because they're in the middle of this giant
0: freaking well thing. And it's weird because because you did bring that up when we were talking before the show. But DC was in exactly the same position back at C2E2 yeah. because they were in the middle of convergence. But still, in particular, the Batman panel, there was a lot of conversation and they had some art Um and they showed, yeah, okay, it's not just the Bat Bunny suit, but here's, here's the actual Batman costume. They actually had some information to give. Right. Whereas, which yeah. helped
4: to kind of allay some fan fears because there had been some some noise going into that, you know, pretty Bat Bunny suit. What Bruce Wayne's going to be dead? Somebody else to be Batman? What the hell?
0: But it's yeah, and, and we were we were talking about this over the years. If you stack up DC panels versus Marvel panels, Marvel panels are about hype, like yeah. emotional hype. Let's all get excited because we love Marvel and we've got great stuff for you that we can't tell you about but it's great so let's get excited whereas DC has always been more yep here's the art here's some concrete things that we can tell you and it's not all it's not a ton of it I'm I don't think they even spoiled the commissioner gordon as uh as batman I don't think so even though that had already been spoiled they were, on the internet I, I think they kept that quiet if I remember right,
4: yeah, no, because we talked about it because you made fun of me for for still um, being unspoiled on that. Yeah, so
0: <laughs> so yeah, it's, as far as I was concerned, it was common knowledge. But yeah, as I recall, they kept that relatively quiet. So, so I, if you if you play clip number two, it's an example of of what it's like
4: if you want to ask a question about um, a character or a book, and this is a a typical. Well-meaning but typical Marvel answer.
0: Yeah, this is uh this is from Ricky Purden, the moder- moderator, uh, and the question was about okay, we, we don't know anything about what's coming with Black Widow or moderator Punisher. and talent wrangler. Yeah, so <laughs> some of these some characters uh, that are popular before Secret Wars, we don't know what's coming afterwards. So uh, can you tell us anything? And this is yeah, sort of a typical response.
3: There's, There's actually. An author, I know.
1: Yeah,
6: there's actually a, a
3: lot
7: of books that we haven't announced yet. Um, the all-new, all-different Marvel Now is a, is a tiered project. And so throughout October, th- uh, November, December, into January, we have a lot of new books coming that you guys don't have anything, any, you, don't, you have no idea about. So just get ready for those. Not saying that any of those are for sure a part of that. <laughs> I can read between the lines. So it's... it's
5: uh, <laughs> Plus, I'm excited for Punisher and the Netflix uh, show. Yes. Yeah. I think they cast the hell out of that. I know, been, you know we're here to talk about the publishing, but I think it could be a fun time to be a Punisher fan. Yeah, oh, yeah. cool.
0: Thank you, guys. Thanks
4: for having We can't talk about it, but look over here, Shiny.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. That, that was Jerry Duggan, I think, coming to the rescue <laughs> at the end. It's like, uh, Punisher, don't worry, we have Punisher, for, it's on TV. And by the way, we can't talk about the TV. <laughs> that was the thing at the, at the beginning of a lot of these panels. And apparently it was a real issue at last year's Boston Comic Con. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, I don't want to say creators, organizers, organizers of the convention, uh, would, would say, this is for the Marvel Comics universe, not the cinematic universe. This is for DC Comics, not the Warner Brothers movies. Right. So they can't answer questions about the Marvel movies or anything like that. Invariably, there was always at least one person who did ask. So, yeah. how are we doing on time? Coming up on an hour. Okay. So we we will move quickly because yeah we we got to get through a couple of panels. But um, but yeah, it, invariably people would ask about it, and yeah they they'd have to come up with some goddamn thing. There was some, there was somebody in this panel I, I didn't pull audio from it. Yeah. You know, said, uh, "Will will you be doing anything with the Inhumans?" <laughs> and I, think, I think the whole the whole panel and everybody in the crowd was like, oh, "Really, dude? Really? We only get forty five minutes with these people for fuck's sake."
4: The Inhumans, you you know, like, have you been watching the Shield show?
0: Or you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a Inhuman in the Marvel Cinematic or regular universe.
4: They're already in the damn books. <laughs> you
0: can't swing a dead Lockjaw. And I wish Lockjaw was dead because that's oh, a stupid looking dog, boy. Okay. But... <laughs> But uh, there's always somebody who who wants to ask about those. You so don't, you don't want to wish for the death of an animal. We'll get to that later in this panel. I don't know. I wish for the death of a lot of fucking rats. <laughs> but they're not in the comic books, and they're barely animals. They're a plague. We discussed this. <laughs> so so yeah, that was that was one case where it was like, oh, all right, let's dive into the universe to, to look over here. Pay no attention to that that Shane behind the curtain.
4: So as as fans in line realized they weren't really going to be able to get any answers with any kind of um hint about what's to come in in the various books that they're following things started to take a more free form turn
0: <laughs> yeah i mean there were questions about all kinds of things i mean to take a where do you want me to what do you want me to pull up next
4: uh <laughs> i would i would say um well, so they started to talk about, you know, where do you get your ideas? Yeah, Because if you can't talk about what you're writing about, maybe you can talk about at least how you get the ideas for the things you can't tell us about.
0: Which, by the way, is the worst fucking question you can ask any creative person because yeah. <laughs> it's they just sort of come. It's yeah. a, a I, I forget who the author was, but whenever he would ask, whenever somebody would ask him, it might be Harlan Ellison, he would say, you know, I got this place. It's in Poughkeepsie, New York. <laughs> I send him $50 a month and they send me the ideas. So it's it's a dumb question, but it's one that gets asked. So, so yeah, somebody asked the panel.
6: I was just wondering, how do you come up with ideas for the comic books? Like... a lot of drugs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I a lot of... I'm just my hands. <laughs> well, you can do drugs too if you want. That <laughs> said, Frank Thierry's a funny motherfucker.
4: Yeah, and and um, I live tweeted that as that was happening, and then he retweeted it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's as good an answer as any yeah (laughs) for me it's always been booze drugs work too
4: um so you know in that vein all right um bradshaw answered in the uh spiderverse panel you know who he felt bad about having to kill and he didn't actually end up having to kill brew but he talked about what that was like so then the question goes out to the panel so who do you feel
0: worst about killing (laughs) All right, yeah, let, let me go to that one.
7: I just wanted to know, um, what's the character you felt worst about killing?
0: Of course, I had to be a kid asking her, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's a
7: good question. That
1: is a very good question. That's a good question. Yeah, all right. serious now. Good job. Good yeah. job. The, the thing I got the most grief for killing actually wasn't actually a character per se. It was when I was writing Wolverine, right? So now Wolverine, my Wolverine was like ultra violent. Like we killed like 10 guys before they even opened the book. You know? And um, I mean, it, like in the, same, in the same issue this takes place, Wolverine's lighting a cigarette off a guy's flaming head. All right? That's the type of book when I was writing Wolverine. So at one point the, the character, Mr. Rex, he's a serial killer. We show his origin, and he puts a. One of the things that he does, he puts a puppy in the microwave. Okay, exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay. Like I said, how do you get your ideas, Frank?
1: Drugs and put puppies in the microwave. So I caught a lot of grief over that. You know, you can kill as many people as you want. You can kill one damn puppy, one
0: puppy, and that's it. Write down for the title of the show "Drugs and Putting Puppies in Microwaves." <laughs> okay, or just remember it either way. But All right. um, yeah, God, this was just a—it was a weird panel just in the set. Yeah, it was really kind of freeform that way. There was a lot of funny stuff like that.
4: Yeah, well, because th- uh, you know, fans—they want to ask questions. They want to be able to interact. If they can't get answers about the books they're reading, they're—they're going to ask the out there questions. <laughs> yeah. And it does, give you, it does give you at least an insight into how the creators think.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> should, should we go straight from that to the, the obvious follow-up question that somebody eventually asked? What character do you want to fucking kill? Yeah, all yeah. Right. You guys are very aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> all of your killing of characters, what about the love of characters? <laughs> welcome to Boston. T- and yes, that was me that shouting was out welcome to Boston. <laughs> I, I feel some shame, but not too much
6: the so need it was so
5: difficult for the artist um, like that was yeah that's a good question so, Spider-Man with those webs. Oh. <laughs> uh, webs sorry Sorry. you want to kill Spider-Man Phil <laughs> Nola? <Nova? laughs> what the hell
1: man? he's a monster jerk
5: I don't have any that I hate even the ones I torture it's usually done out of love <laughs> <laughs> Gambit I would kill Gambit <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Take that hey. second, Tatum.
0: You, you can't see Amanda sitting here trying not to laugh into the microphone as this clip goes. This is a fun panel, man. Yes. There you there you go. yes. Yeah. Oh. I, I was doing X-Men for the cartoon service
7: back in the early 90s. Oh. Oh, wow. yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, grammar. Grammar. yeah, spook
8: Ambit. Yeah, let's go. He thinks that's <laughs> all only is crap. Put <laughs> it
1: with us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: see?
1: Everybody hates family. There's your
3: answer. <laughs>
0: Thank you. you guys, hey, are we all fired? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like,
3: anyone's
0: hiring. <laughs> that's a cool thing when you get a guy like Frank Bruner on the panel, because, yeah, he can talk to, oh, yeah, I worked on that shit 20 years ago when Gambit was the coolest thing in the world. I hated him then. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a buddy who loves Gambit to death, but i I got to say I, I kind of agree. He's always been ham-fisted.
4: Tell you though, as soon as the panel was over, the first person up there to go have a conversation with the panel was um, a doughy guy in a gambit suit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he argued for an hour. (laughs) No, I'm cool. (laughs) No, you and Grifter, (laughs) you go off and do ninety shit. Listen to some listen to some bush play with pogs. Oh god. Pogs. Oh. That's what that's what Gambit should do in the movie. Instead of cards, he should energize fucking pogs. <laughs> people. I would pay money. <laughs> to watch that on cable. Oh Cher, let me show you my slammer. <laughs> Bam!
4: Oh Cher, let me show you my slammer. Write that one down too. That's got potential. Um <laughs> uh let me oh yeah and so again the the young fans um are the best in some ways the, the little kids because they get up there with with questions that you w- it wouldn't occur to you necessarily to ask or even think of uh so the kid who has the nick fury question that's a that's a
0: good oh, God. <laughs> yeah all right so so yeah uh out of the mouths of babes again
8: Money- Jack, I know you guys mostly do the comics, but I've been dying over this question ever since Captain America 2
0: came out. See, always some cock who asks about the movie. Son of a bitch, you... Bu- He's seven. Okay.
8: He has this, like, list, and it has, like, all stuff he has to say because he was in Iceberg. Oh, right. But one of them's Star Wars. But
4: then again, Nick Fury was in Star Wars.
8: So how does <laughs> this... <happen>? <laughs> <laughs> Look
4: at
0: choose breaking... Breaking worlds like Hickman.
4: Uh. Look at mini
5: Breaking worlds
1: out
0: of you. Yeah. yeah, that's that's an interesting observation. <laughs> it's right. a civil war. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's all answers. Yep. Keep reading.
4: It's a civil war. <laughs> keep reading. All new, all different marble. Yep,
0: that's right. Uh, have no answers for it. <laughs> I don't know how you answer that one, but uh yeah, I wouldn't even know. <laughs> um, uh, there was some actual. Uh, actual information in this. So this is one that's that, true, actually. This is one that I thought was, uh, was interesting. There's been a, a lot of controversy since Age of Ultron came out in theaters about the Darth of... Not Darth. That's Earth. a guy from Star Wars. I
4: mean, Darth is now owned by Disney, which mm-hmm. owns Marvel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really? What? <laughs> but I, I'm having trouble tracking. There's no air conditioning and I think I hear rats clawing <laughs> at the door. <laughs> But there's Nick been, Fury will save us <laughs> with, with the purple lightsaber <laughs> with the clip bumper wait, wait what, what? <laughs> there, anyway there's been a controversy because there hasn't been very much Black Widow merchandise to go along with Age of Ultron so people have been saying there are plenty of girl fans of the movie why aren't there actually any toys uh, to the point where uh, and again with the dehydration who the fuck plays Hulk Mark uh, Ruffalo. Yes. That took me a second. Mark Ruffalo tweeted at Marvel saying I need more Black Widow toys for my niece or something. Um and somebody actually brought that question up and even though it was kind of related to uh, It is totally related to the movies, but <laughs> yeah, but there was an actual uh answer to it that Phil uh Phil Noto had. So yes. so let's go with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I totally
5: agree with like the merchandise and stuff, but apparently from what I heard after, you know, all that came up is that they sell the licenses to these companies and it's up to the companies to decide what they wanna make. So yeah, I mean, there should have been a lot more, but like Marvel slash Disney doesn't really have control over what these companies, like what kind of merchandise they're gonna make. But I think just the outcry of that, the next you know Civil War or whatever movie she's in next, I think you'll see a lot more just because of this. And in terms of um, the solo movie, Uh, That's been back and forth. I mean, personally, I think it's just Scarlett Johansson doesn't want to sign like a six-picture
0: deal to be Black Widow until
5: she's like 50.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which makes a lot of sense. But again, that's speculation from an artist from Marvel Comics. So nobody knows. But uh, yeah, the idea that... And it makes total sense if you think about it. Fine, man, we'll license you everything, right? It's the check. Yeah. It's not like Joe Quesada is at Hasbro... Standing over the dudes on the assembly line going, <laughs> no, you sand that black widow thing off, sand the boobs away and put a repulsor on it. Jesus. <laughs> it, it, that doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about it. But so whether that's entirely right or not, cause you know, even Noto said, you know, based on my understanding, but it, it makes a lot of sense. And it was, it answers a question that a lot of people have had for the last few months. Yeah. But then again, Jerry Duggan, who's almost as fucking funny as Frank Thierry, uh, he sort of put a, a whole different, spin on yes on uh, the whole issue.
4: I also just
5: want to point out, too, when I was a kid, if you wanted an Iron Man toy, you had to, like, put yellow tape around a Spider-Man. <laughs> 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 you guys are living in, like, the golden era. Yeah. Now you can be Fun like, oh, I'm toys. Spoiled. yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, like, go and buy a Bucky and a house-cleaning armor, you know? You're just like,
1: this, is, this is not a bad situation, all things considered, but Thank you very much. So to sum up, it's
4: Hill Noddles. <laughs> <laughs> no, he makes a good point. There is a much wider variety of of, of merch out there now for for a bunch of different characters. There, there is, the word is dearth, a dearth of, I of stuff.
2: To, I went to college. <laughs> I'm a little
4: punchy. I mean, I've seen, I've seen stuff on the internet now. Um, fathers out there modding their hero clicks because there's not enough. Uh, female hero characters for for his daughter to play with, so because he's trying to get her into things. I, 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 there was a woman out there who had a whole DIY on how she modified a Bratz doll to turn it into a Black Widow, so that her daughter would have a
0: Black Widow toy. <laughs> Look, this is a modern <laughs> this is a modern problem because I grew up in the seventies, and if I had found a girl who liked. Spider Man and Superman. You and I would not be together because I would have gotten married at a ridiculously long <laughs> a- young age. They just—it's—it's it's possible that there were fans of that kind of stuff. Certainly, there were uh, female Star Wars fans when I was a little kid. Yeah, but there were also Princess Leia action figures, and well, that—that that was basically it. Princess Leia action figures. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, merchandise of all types. It feels like when I was a kid, there was a ton of. Superhero toys, they were shit. Uh with the exception of the Migo toys. The Migo mm-hmm. uh superhero figures were were awesome. Yeah. Uh and there was an Iron Man one, actually, the more I think about it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, otherwise, I've talked about this on the show before. I we did the episode with the the 1970s superhero ads. You know, energized Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. It was like cast out of a brick of unmoving plastic. Yeah. That's <laughs> He had a spider copter that he could somehow <laughs> sit in, which had a ridiculously high, uh, high post for the rotor because he, Spider-Man was stuck in a position where one arm was straight up in the air, which makes it hard to sit in an open cockpit helicopter without losing your hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we had Stretch Armstrong, which wasn't even a fucking superhero, but at least you could sort of half pretend that it was Mr. Fantastic. Mr. Fantastic, who would very quickly get an armpit bleed of goo. <laughs> you could say of goo. yeah, that's another possible <laughs> title Um yeah there was a so we had energized Spider-Man who couldn't move but we had uh, magnetic Batman and Robin who had magnets in their hands so they could stick through the refrigerator which is not a power that Batman fucking had why did you do that with Batman and not Spider-Man Spider-Man's standing there like someone stuck a board up his ass I'm still angry about the level of toys that I had and looking back it felt like there were a lot of superhero toys but no, nope, guess not. Uh, <laughs> I, I I I
4: always end up thinking of like Boba Fett who wasn't even in like the original movie who got his start because of the Star Wars holiday special which is now apparently canon. Um the
0: only reason anybody ever, ever gave a shit about Boba Fett was because it was the action figure you could order away from and it looked cool.
4: I'm still kind of regretting uh they had somebody who's working on the Chewbacca book, is it Phil Noto? I think it's Phil Noto. Um <laughs>
0: Uh, actually, I think it was Jerry Duggan.
4: Alright, Jerry Duggan. Um, I, I'm kind of regretting since, since the news had made it into the media, um, just prior to this convention that, um, the, the Star Wars holiday special is now apparently canon. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I should have gotten in line and asked, uh, what his plans for Life Day were for the book
0: going forward. <laughs> I want to know what his personal plans for Life Day are. <laughs> what are you going to be doing on Life Day, Jerry? You want to come over? <laughs> Okay. We'll we'll serve you uh, we'll be on the podcast. I don't know what do the wikis eat. <laughs> we'll Twigs and berries. We'll serve you some spam. <laughs> <laughs> Wiki spam. <laughs> Speaking of Chewbacca uh, cameos, here's another funny one from Joe Canones about uh, trying to do a cameo in How the Duck. You want to do that one? Sure. All right.
7: There was one time actually that was like for the upcoming issue. I think there's a lot of cameos in that issue, and so I got like my editor Will Moss. Did the homework at of time. I had this long list of characters. It was like use any of these. And I'm like okay, let me pick and choose. And then in the list was Chewbacca. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. I thought like, oh, that was a joke. I was
6: like, what? The hell? I got the angriest text from Joe that day. He was like, "This will will,
7: dude. Then I was like trying to figure out what to put Chewbacca. And there's like maybe there's somebody who's dressed as Chewbacca, like from Star <laughs>
8: Is
6: that because Disney
1: owns everything
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what I thought. I <laughs> they own this panel, so... <laughs> uh, all right. So it, was, it was just that kind of panel where everything was just all over the place. Yeah. And just notice how our tone has changed. A lot of serious issues talked about in Spider-Verse. And in Marvel, now I'm bitching about Energized Spider-Man. <laughs> it's important to talk about both things. Comics should be fun and they should be for everybody. Yes. I have more fun with the fun. All right. Anything else on this one? Otherwise, how are we doing on time? We... I think we can move on to one of the other panels. Okay. Uh all right. So the next one was actually the Sunday morning panel. Yes. Um, and this is uh, a... <laughs> it's weird. This is it's a smaller publisher. It was the IDW panel with yeah, Scott Ryle, the editor in chief. Uh had Joe Hill. Hitch- Did I say he Chris? Said Ryle? Scott. Oh Jesus. All right, Chris Ryle. <laughs> I'm gonna need beer soon. Chris Ryle <laughs> Uh, Joe Hill, uh, who wrote Lock and Key, uh, Gabriel Rodriguez, who drew Lock and Key, and artist Sarah Richard, who's actually kind of a local artist who. She's moving though. Well, alright, fuck her then.
4: <laughs> no, no, she's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's weird. We've talked about her in the past. She was, we first met her, I think, at the 2009 Boston Comic Con. Possibly. Where I don't think she was doing anything but selling art and you bought some stuff that you liked. I got That's, like a really cool Vash the Stampede. Yeah, so it's been fun to see her over the years sort of you know, move up a little bit yeah. and, and get some actual... And she's
4: you know, been doing a lot of cover work for them, Jem, um, My Little Pony.
0: Yeah. So, and it's just weird. This is a a little publisher, but they basically had the main man there in Chris Ryall. So even though it was little, they had a lot more honestly hard information about some of the stuff they're working on. I got a ton of stuff from their various things. And part of really the, the overall probably not intentional, but theme of the panel that we were talking about was yeah. How they, as a smaller publisher deal with their licensed properties along with the creator owned stuff that they want to do. And it it was really the first panel where I, I really got a sense of, you know, okay, why publishers do that because it always feels like you know from back in the days of Dark Horse it's mm-hmm. like okay you reach a certain point and it's oh you grab the license stuff and don't get me wrong there are certain license comics that I like like just with IDW they've got Rom Space Night coming out and Micronauts in particular Micronauts I loved Micronauts as a kid I'm looking forward to seeing that again mm-hmm. but you know they also do G.I. Joe, which I liked it as a kid, but I stopped buying G.I. Joe figures a long time ago, like 2009 maybe. But you could giggle like I'm actually kidding. Not only it matters, there's enough superhero toys in the house. It could work, but.
4: Yeah, no, I, I I enjoyed this panel because there was a lot of information. It was sort of eye opening to hear the information about you know how how you handle a licensed property, but how also the fact that you have these licensed properties allow you to do this great work with the just straight out creator owned stuff. I I, I came to IDW um, through Thirty Days of Night because I'm a, a big fan of horror comics.
0: Right. Uh So that was my first experience, I think, with their books. Okay. Do you want me to just go straight to that that clip of yeah. Ryall talking a little bit about it? Because, like I said, this one, my notes were a little better. It's like, yeah, this is the best explanation I've heard as to why publishers who aren't the big two actually do this kind of thing.
3: I mean, it, it's kind of the same way as I think of, like, Paramount Pictures. They do Paramount Pictures. They do their big movies that help fund, like, the Paramount Vantage films, you know? So... The Transformers and Ponies and Gem and G.I. Joe, Star Trek, all of that are the stuff that really keep the lights on and allow us to then take chances on other things. So the lights stuff will always be be the bread and butter of what we do, but I mean we started the company as a creator owned company or doing things like Thirty Days of Night. So it's very important to us to keep doing that kind of thing and I want to keep giving creators voices to do that sort of thing. So it's just finding that right mix. You know, the bulk of it is the and stuff and then that allows you to take more chances on I mean, even Lock and Key, when we did it, we had no idea if it was going to become a thing that, that would sustain and last for the 40 issues that it did. So the fact that we do these other books allows us to try these kind of things. and So it'll it'll keep being a mix of both.
0: The other funny thing from that quote right afterwards, I didn't pull the audio because I've actually on our YouTube channel, we've got Joe Hill talking about this before, but part of how... He was saying part of how he got them to okay the book was he said it was a six issue miniseries. <laughs> I could do this in six issues. Thank God the first few sold. <laughs> but so, so yeah, it's, yeah, that was just sort of the, 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 the analogy of just the, the movie, not even movie studios, but like movie stars, one for me and, and one for you. Yeah. You know, sort of the, uh, Ben Affleck. Yeah. You know, right. Fine. I'll, I'll do Batman and then I want to do, uh, the town. Or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get that, and it makes sense. Yeah. That said, I don't think I'll ever buy a My Little Pony comic.
4: But they're not for everybody.
0: Exactly. But uh, they're certainly... As long
4: as you believe in your heart, though, that friendship is magic.
0: Oh. God. <laughs> you walked into that. <laughs> I, I didn't load up my sound effects deck, or I would sugarman the hell out of you right now. I had enough other sound effects here, I didn't have room on the page for it. But... You would be Sugarman. That is a worthy. It's <laughs> worthy gonna quote. happen
4: to me next week. I'm just gonna lie
0: and wait. I might bl- wake me up in the night. Sugarman. I might blast it from the stereo in the bedroom <laughs> later on. But um all right, so where do we and actually one thing I wanted to uh hit, as long as we're talking about the licensed stuff and I mentioned sure. the uh the ROM space night and the micronauts. You know, if if you're somebody about our age, you know, if you if you're a guy about our age who grew up and was eight years old in the late 70s, there were two sets of toys that weren't Star Wars that really were huge yes. for two or three years. And one of them was Micronauts. Yep. Um, but the other one was Shogun Warriors. Right. And of course, since IDW has Micronauts, somebody got up and asked about Shogun Warriors. And even I got excited because, yeah, I, I had a few of them. And uh, so, yeah, here's Ryle here's talking about why that ain't never going to happen.
3: After the Robin
5: Micronauts thing, the first question people have is, okay, what about Shogun Warriors
3: now? And I go, man... <laughs> Ten years I've been climbing the ROM mountain. Like, give me a, just a week to enjoy this. But Shogun is kind of like Godzilla in that all the different robots are owned by their own respective creators. Like, that's the Japanese deal is that. So there's no way to get that together. Yeah, so I could I buy the rights to the name Shogun Warriors, but it would have to be all new robots. Like, Marvel has shown that just any old Space Knight isn't necessarily going to work that well. So we want a ROM. I want, I want Mazinga. So.
0: Fuck Mazinga. It should have been Raideen. <laughs> Radine was all, Radine was the one and i think i liked him because he had what looked kind of like a captain america shield mm. on his right arm with a big blade coming out on in front of his fist and you could uh, press the button on his back and launch the fist Across the yard oh, to, to terrorize the dog, <laughs> or eventually be caught up in the lawnmower.
4: Oh, well, okay. But
0: <laughs> hey, or put your brother's eye out. But Shogun Warriors are like this huge goddamn blank spot as a not a blank spot, but a, an area of missed opportunities as a kid because I had a bunch of micronauts because micronauts were relatively cheap. Mm. Yeah, you know, the micronauts, you know, you get time traveler, you know, that was 99 cents at the time. And, you know, a croyer, ooh, that was three bucks. I'm just you know,
4: impressed you know all these names. So. Hell,
0: fucking A, I know these names. <laughs> you know, call call Trebuchet, a friend of the show, and ask him about micronauts. <laughs> he could spit them out. There was a uh, Baron Carza. Baron Carza was the most expensive because he was the one that all his joints were magnets and you could uh, pull his torso apart and put glad you said torso. Yeah. (laughs) You can pull other things, I guess. You don't have a morbid morbid fear of getting a blood blister pinch in various areas, but that's not how I party. It's how A-Rod parties, because what you could do is pull the torso off and put it on a centaur, (laughs) so turn Baron Karza into a centaur. But they were all relatively cheap, so I had a bunch of those. The Shogun Warriors had these big fuckers, like the three-foot-tall heavy-gauge plastic ones, and I only ever had the little ones. So they had Shogun Warriors stuff, like little car... There was a car. The Shogun Warriors, I don't remember the name. There was a vehicle that had uh pinchers on arms, and they had certain small-scale uh ones. But yeah, the big ones were kind of expensive, so my parents never got me any of the big ones. I had to go what to... Y-
4: what year was this, reference? This is
0: probably 78, 79. 78, 79. I had a book. Let's <laughs> not <laughs> so go back into your childhood. It's just a sad morass of... It makes Charlie Brown look like I think we like might have he- got a light bright that year. Oh my <laughs> it makes Charlie Brown look like he was an early adopter of high tech. And I got a rock. Oh really? A rock <laughs> Charlie Brown? I I had an inflatable wine bag from a box of wine. And we liked it. Oh I I did. It floated. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, as excited as I am to see Micronauts again, and I'm hoping they get the the rights to reprint the old Marvel stuff, because those Bill Mantlo ones that actually took these stupid toys and gave them their own universe and found a way to stick them into the Marvel, I mean that's that's still having effects to this day Captain Universe was a Micronauts panel, Hmm. there was a dude Bill somebody, who got the powers of Captain Universe to help the Micronauts as they were in his backyard basically, his son found the Micronauts (laughs) And it, this, his his dopey old dad got the power of Captain Universe to save the Micronauts. And Captain Universe was in Hickman's Avengers run.
4: That's right. That's right. So th-
0: that that's still kicking around. And new Micronauts stories, that's a fertile world if they can do it. Mm-hmm. But I want to see those Mantlo ones reprinted. I still have Micronauts 1 in one of these long boxes someplace. Cool. But I don't have Shogun Warriors 1. I did have that one. So I'd... Would have liked to have seen more Shogun Warriors, just to relive my childhood. I had a book. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna take you out and get you loaded later. I'll (laughs) I'll buy you toys. What do you you want? (laughs) So
4: I, so we heard a lot of things about the different different licensed properties that were pretty. There's information about the Godzilla uh, books. There was there was information about the various GI Joe books um and then they kind of got into joe hill had this and he was joking when he pitched it now that we have the opportunity to have sort of a shared universe for these licensed characters
0: well first let's uh i've got a short thing here from uh ryle about yeah they're not calling it this but i'm sort of calling it the hasbro universe and okay. that's how they're sort of yeah starting to have these properties cross over
3: I think what's what's happening with the Transformer stuff or the Hasbro stuff is kind of similar to, to like the Marvel films. Is is everybody gets the benefit of having a universe, mm-hmm. so the Transformers and GI Joe sort of coexist, and then Jem and the Ponies. And I think there will be much more of that sort of thing happening. Yeah,
0: Jem and GI Joe.
4: <laughs> uh, don't dis Jim. Jim Jim was truly outrageous. Oh, <laughs>
0: oh, come on.
4: <laughs> no, no, they would. They, there's nothing there to diss. If you if you like the idea of 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 Gwen Stacy being in a rock band, you can't diss Jem.
0: Jem is Dazzler for the eighties, and that's fine.
4: <laughs> but Dazzler
0: uh, was Dazzler for the eighties. Once again, I'm not the target audience. <laughs> and Dazzler was Dazzler for the seventies. The fact that she was published into the eighties is a weird quirk of the whatever record company originally commissioned oh, She was
4: trying her. to break into movies. And st- yeah, it made sense at that point.
0: Oh, sh- Nothing made sense. <laughs> in ni- no one made sense in 1979? Cocaine. And that's why there are two <laughs> volumes of Dazzler on the shelf to my left. I think you're using the cocaine. Nope. <laughs> that's right. You can't hold out on me. But from that shared universe, do you want to go straight into... Yes, yes, yeah. I do. Uh, Joe Hill uh, made a live pitch mm-hmm. right during the, right during the panel. That yeah, I'd kind of like to see it if I can get it to play. You know, be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know be really cool.
8: Yeah. There's a virus launched by cobra that infects the little ponies and they attack the gi joes the gi joes slaughter and the gi joes slaughter, and and the GI Joe slaughter them
0: all the time
8: it would be like the whole comic would be like four pages and So just be like the ponies running with <laughs> like a bone. bone and yeah. like ah and 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 then there'd be like rock and roll it'd be like open up boys and then there'd be two pages of <laughs> and then there'd just be this littered field of like slaughtered pink ponies and then, <laughs> then you turn page four and page five would just be black and say the end and there'd, then there'd be like 18 more black pages
3: <laughs> like, like no
2: nothing because the story would be over
3: if Joe just made any pony fans cry you wouldn't <laughs> heed.
0: and the thing is we we went to the IDW table after this panel and you were talking to Hill. Oh,
4: yeah. I said, <laughs> make this happen. I will buy this. Oh,
0: yeah. And he's like, yeah, it'd be awesome. Just four pages of just the machine guns. I'm like, yeah. And just sort of in the back of a panel, you know, there's Snake Eyes with his mask half up. He's smoking a cigarette because clearly this doesn't require any ninja shit. And he's yeah. like, oh, yeah, we'll have a snow job and all the other guys in the back. They got nothing to do. Just five guys with M60s.
4: And it wouldn't need Snake Eyes, and which is OK because he's dead, apparently. <laughs>
0: yeah. I've not been, uh, I've not been following, uh, following up with the G.I. Joe stuff, but, uh, you know what? There, there may be, we may have listeners who, who like G.I. Joe. We, we do have something for yes. Ryle talking about upcoming G.I. Joe stuff. Sure. It's a good, uh, Good enough seg. There we go. <laughs> so we're not good at segues. Yeah. I'm not good at seg. Buh, buh. The next thing we're doing with G.I. Joe, I mean, we're doing the real American hero stuff right
3: now, and it's about to go bi weekly. We just killed Snake Eyes. Um, A <laughs>
8: oh, spoiler.
6: Even and John all are just hanging out in Hawaii somewhere. Right?
3: Yeah,
6: right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really kill Snake Eyes? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: He's in hell now bilingual, Godzilla. Yeah. They and replaced one And he's not Marvel Dead, so Snake, <laughs> dead, Snake Eyes is <laughs> going so actually did. Um, so there's that book going on right now and then we're doing the uh, Transformers G.I. Joe book with Tom Seale which is its own level of insanity and then the next G.I. Joe thing will be the Street Fighter crossover that's going to happen early next year and then after that will be the next G.I. Joe thing so there'll be a lot of Joe coming your way.
0: G.I. Joe Street Fighter? <laughs> Why oh, not? I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> what, what was the other video game with the two guys, uh, bad dudes are you a bad enough dude to rescue President Ronnie? I don't think I've played that. I want GI Joe versus Bad Dudes. Oh God! Because it was it was like the original Street Fighter, you know, but Bad Dudes, where it was yeah, two people, and it would just uh, you. It was co op play, <laughs> but dudes would come, and you'd have to knock them out. Wasn't that the one where you had to kick the car apart? Or Was that Street Fighter 2?
4: I think I had to do that in Street Fighter 2.
0: Okay, but it was, Street Fighter one was it was like Bad Dudes, yeah, just just people and couple of guys in denim vests and bandanas. Did you sure it wasn't
4: Double Dragon and you were
0: drunk? I'm not going to rule anything out. Uh, this might have been an hour ago for all I know. G.I. <laughs> Joe versus bad dudes. Um, You're leaving money on the table, Ryle. G.I. Joe bad dudes. You know. G.I. I. Joe crystal castles. <laughs> we got to dust off and nuke the crystal castles from orbit. I was good at crystal castle. <laughs> and a My Little Pony saves that little teddy bear. And then they all attack G.I. Joe together. See, it all fits. <laughs> this means something. This is important. We're going to get you the whiskey you so desperately need. Well, we better hurry up.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they talked about, about that. They talked about some of the other, um, sort of crossover properties with other publishing houses too. Um, apparently there's a Batman, uh, Ninja Turtles crossover coming.
0: Yeah, I, I literally, <laughs> I, I've I've got a clip about it, but I think you've basically just covered everything that was in it. It's wicked short, but oh, so that's a six R-
3: issue that's a six issue series.
0: The uh, six issue series he's talking about is the Green Lantern Star Trek crossover. Because which why started. not? Well, because it's got a Francesco Francavilla cover, and that's worth every goddamn dime, right. no matter what happens in the thing.
3: And then after that one, we're doing a uh, Turtles Batman comic oh. with
0: with DC. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, just announced. Okay. Yeah. That is not any more ridiculous than Batman Spawn. (laughs) Don't you diss Batman Spawn. That would, Batman Spawn was 1990 through 1996 of comics boiled down into a sticky substance (laughs) that was then crammed into a prestige format (laughs) and sold for $6 a piece. Did it get a chromium cover? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I certainly didn't get it. I got a, I have a soft spot for it only because it was a Frank Miller written Batman after Dark Knight Returns. And yet before the Dark Knight strikes again, so I didn't realize exactly how sideways Frank was going to go with with Batman.
4: Yeah. Um, Sigging into to something else entirely, because they had Gabriel Rodriguez and Joe Hill there both, they were able to talk a fair amount about lock and key. Um, yes. Wh- one of the takeaways I found really great was sort of listening to how um, the writing informs the art, but the art also informs the writing. And they got into a discussion about uh, how Lock and Key has been developed into an audio format book, Audible. Now you can get um, the actual just audio books of the comic books,
0: which is cool. Well, it's not even an audio book. It's uh, it's more of an audio. Clip. Well, you yeah. want me to just do the, the well, clip?
4: one of the you, in a second. One of the things because it's not part of the clip. Um, fans apparently wrote Hill and complained. Well, this is this is great and all, but you know you don't really get a sense of the artist because it's just the audio play. And he begged to differ. <laughs> yeah. Um, because all of all of the scene sculpting and development that Rodriguez did informed the direction of the audio play. Right. And and I, I just thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, definitely. It's, and there were long conversations during the panel, so I didn't pull audio from all of them. Yeah. Where it was, yeah, they were really co-collaborators on it, particularly after a certain point. Uh, it sounded like well, right around when they were doing the lock and key TV pilot. Mm. So both of them were in... Uh, I want to say Pittsburgh or they were wherever right. they were shooting yeah. it. And yeah, they would just hang out in the hotel restaurant, you know, and it was the first time they could really directly collaborate. And yeah, came up with a bunch of backstory about it. Yeah. So yeah, they very much were both on the same page that, oh yeah, this is very much co-creation.
4: Yeah.
0: All right. So, so which clip do you want me to, cause I got a few of them here.
4: Um, it, it maybe just fire off the, the two about the audio play. And then I, I think follow up with the, um, 17 down there.
0: OK. Um All right. So, yeah, here's just sort of a, a first general some general information if you're interested in that audio play and I might be because I'm of just the right age. I remember the Star Wars radio play. Right. Uh, which you,
4: you've you've heard of my love of the Star Wars radio play.
0: Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's kind of an art form you don't get very often anymore, although more so with podcasts these days. Yeah. Now, I've really got to start getting into Welcome to Night Vale, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, here's here's just sort of some general information about the uh the lock and key audio play.
8: Audible has done this; they've yeah. adapted the complete oh. series, series as a uh, an audio play um, with voices and special effects and that kind music. Of, yeah, yeah, it, it's it has music. And it yeah. has kind of like oh, the yeah. scary Vincent Price like you know, and The shadows no longer in other yeah. houses, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. You know when. Tatiana uh, Maslany, who is uh, the star of Orphan Black, plays Dodge down in the well, mm-hmm. the female
0: Dodge. Uh, She's only playing one role. What a fucking waste. <laughs>
3: Angel Osmond plays some lesser. Yeah. yeah. Um, got a- Kate Mulgrew.
0: Uh, I- that was Hallie Joel Osmond, by the way. I-, I cut in just a little bit late. Oh, okay. And Kate Mulgrew was in it. And that was Kate Mulgrew. I just, <laughs> I'm stomping on names. Sorry. Right. I'm just terrible about that. So, and yeah, here's one more clip. <laughs> I'm not I'm not entirely sure why they did this but uh sort of talking about some of the the interesting ways they actually recorded this yeah, this one I'm not real sure about.
3: They did all the audio recordings in in actual locations. It's not studio, so all the natural noises and the sound of water, these it, oh, actual cool. thing, and you can notice the difference.
8: It's very well done. They recorded. I know they recorded in a cave. That they did all these cave sequences, yeah. and they recorded in a cave. And they were, you know, they said it was creepy <laughs> and uncomfortable standing around yeah. with bats in the dark.
0: When all the fuck scenes, they recorded in a whorehouse somewhere <laughs> in East Texas. The drowning scenes. Yeah, they're never going to get away. Jesus. Duncan
8: and Tyler are locked in the trunk. They are they locked in the trunk. They climbed <laughs> <in> the <laughs> of the car and they
3: recorded it all in the trunk of the car. Right. They recorded some bits in, a, in an old abandoned uh, in, um, insane asylum. So, yes. and I don't know that any of that will will necessarily matter ultimately to the listen, but just for the mood and the ambiance of the recording, it really helps. Since, I guess, the program environment for the actors to play the characters mm-hmm. in a more realistic way, and you can notice that.
0: Yeah, I suppose you, know, you hear so many people going berserk trying to act with green screen. I guess you sort stick of... headphones in a microphone and shove them in a booth. Yeah, that's probably the same kind of effect.
4: Yeah, so I'd be curious to see if it if it makes a a difference.
0: Yeah, it's a apparently, yeah, apparently you can get a certain amount of it, and I haven't checked it out. Maybe if I've got time tonight, I'll check it out before I put up the show notes. But uh, apparently, a certain percentage of it's free if you just go to the Audible website.
4: It's it's also there's an app. Is an audible app for
0: phones. Okay, so uh, apparently a certain amount of that is is free, so it might be worth checking out. Again, I got a soft spot for radio drama. Not so much that <laughs> that I'm gonna try and create one, but yeah,
4: you just need one more vice in your life here in the house.
0: Yeah, Oh, <laughs> Jesus, no, no, I do not. But <laughs> um,
4: but you know, with that being said, so from from there, you know, th- there was the we again, we don't have that particular clip the conversation about the back and forth between the artist and the writer. Um, And then Gabriel Rodriguez talks about, you know, and it it extends further. And if you've ever wondered about the role of a colorist and, and what they bring to the production.
0: Yeah. Again, this is, this is a weird panel in that there were a couple of the best analogies from making me understand certain concepts that I've always just sort of taken for granted in comics. And yeah, this is another one. Uh, they don't use the words lighting director, yeah. but it's really the concept that came across to me.
8: There was this one page early in Lock and Key where Bodie enters the Well House, and it's a late summer day, and Jake Photos did a yeah. thing with the light, with the way the light was being diffused as it came through the barred windows, and I just I remember seeing that page and I you know just thinking, wow, that that just looks like that just looks like Massachusetts at the end of August. There was something about that not, hazy not quality just of the look
5: light. Like,
3: it feels like it. In a way, I always told Jake Photos that his coloring provides weather to the story. It's like you, you can feel the environment, what's going on around the characters, if they are cold or they are hot. You don't right. need to draw sweat to understand that they are in a hot place because the light provides that, and that's really what makes it magic. When, when you're working in a comic, you get the script first, and then you provide the illustration and something new happened. And then you get the colored page and you see your own page with different eyes because the color is just turning into something new. And that's very fascinating.
0: Yeah. See, and that's not a viewpoint of the coloring art that I'd never, I'd, I'd, I'd ever thought of before. Right. But it's, yeah, put that way. It's like, Oh, yeah, shit. There's more going on there than I ever really gave it credit for. So I've really got to start paying more attention to. The coloring on books.
4: Yeah. The, the art is not just the lines on the page. It's, it's the whole package. So it's how it works with the shading, how it works with the colors that the, the colorist chooses. Like, did they go with a bright palette? Did they go with a dark palette? What filter did they put on it to, to do that kind of light wash?
0: <laughs> yeah. Now the letterer, fuck that guy. I don't care what he's doing, but <laughs> I'm kidding. It's all very important. Yes. Just trying to find a font that looked kind of comic-like for our website was enough of a pain in the ass. I got respect right. for letterers. Right. So. Well, uh, and I just
4: finished reading, um, rereading, like, all of Lucifer. You want to talk about, like, somebody doing just their ba- there and back again work on lettering?
0: Yeah. Oh, For Jesus. all the different characters in that book. Yeah. Yeah, from that back to Sandman, where that came from. Yeah. It can really make a difference. All right, how are we doing on time? Because we've got one more panel want to I think we, I think try we should probably to.
4: seg into the other panel
0: okay there's one more thing from this uh this is just pure geekery as they were talking about the uh the star trek franchise <laughs> and and joe hill asked this and my god it was like being back in the lunchroom in junior high again what i want to know is can the
8: falcon take the enterprise you should know this kind of thing right can the falcon take
3: the enterprise oh the millennium falcon yeah. no way
8: <laughs> it made two big destroyers crash together
6: it barely, I mean, about, it, barely about, it, it barely made the Kessel
3: run.
8: Can we have a show of hands? Who thinks the Falcon can beat the Enterprise? <laughs> oh, I, uh, I, I rest <laughs> my case. It was really
3: more like six or seven parts.
8: Losing the drag, taking it
4: in
0: the curves. <laughs> Insert yourself in there. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that was Yeah, the Millennium Falcon would lose in a drag race with the Enterprise, but he could take it in the curves. That's absolutely right. I defy you to prove me wrong on that one.
4: Yeah, well, like, I that's just it i don't i know that it can go to warp speed um if it's working
0: <laughs> that's not warp speed it's hyperspace, uh, hyperspace two different I'm sorry. concepts okay. even though they're very similar yeah
4: um all i know is that like in terms of like warp speed they have like 10 levels of it in Star Trek world, whereas
0: <laughs> yes. Um, but warp 10, uh, approaches infinity. It's been a look when it comes to Star Trek, I'm a fan of the original series and up to a point, the next generation, mm. but I'm old school enough. It took a long time for the next generation to grow on me. So uh, anything past that uh, enterprise See, I, I space think, nine, none of them stuck in my head.
4: I think the, the Falcon would win in a race would the Enterprise? I think they would win because somehow R two would find a way to communicate with the Enterprise's computers
0: and get them to drop their shields. Yeah, and,
4: and 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 just kind of go in there and hack
0: something. Talk back to impulse power. <laughs>
4: yeah, because <laughs> usually when it comes down to how how do we get out of this, it, it's it's R two, yeah, R two ex machina. Yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> what's the R two beeping for? Get out and push, motherfucker. <laughs> All
4: right, how are we doing on time? It, we should seg over to, to the last panel.
0: Okay, seriously. We're, we're at like uh,
4: 148.
0: Okay. um, So yeah, last panel that we went to, and we'll do this as quickly as we can while still trying to cover it in any kind of depth, was, yeah, the, the DC Comics panel. Weirdly, this one was not ticketed. The room was about full anyway. Yes, It may have been as simple as they were scheduled for Sunday, so they figured, uh, Sunday, a slightly smaller crowd, because, yeah, the convention sold out on Saturday.
4: Well, I think they also moved some of the panels around too i think there was originally supposed to be a snyder panel that might have been in that spot or yeah that's something. possible
0: i think there was supposed to be a separate scott snyder panel that i'm not sure happened so yeah. so yeah it's a this one yeah it was still pretty full I mean, yep. we still had to sort of scheme and finagle to get into it but so yeah this one uh another one reasonably full uh we had mark doyle who's the batman group editor yes. uh was moderating the panel uh had writer Brian Azarello, who's working on Dark Knight 3, The Poor Man. <laughs> uh, um, artist Babs Tarr, who's working on Batgirl. No comment. Uh, uh artist Annie Wu, who's working on Black Canary. Uh, writer artist Ming Doyle, who's co-writing, uh, I don't care how she pronounces it in the, in the panel. Uh, even, even Constantine, yes. The Hellblazer. Uh, Scott Snyder, uh, writer of Batman. Uh, and Jimmy Palmiotti, who writes a ton of shit. But, but it, was it was there to discuss Harley. Dis- discuss Harley Quinn. And yeah, again, there was m- some more hard info in this one. Not a shitload more, but... But they
4: they had some things that they-, they were willing to talk about rather than just saying, gee, we can't talk about that. You'll just have to keep reading.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So where do you want to start with this one? You know what? Because there's one or two things I think things the elephant
4: here. in the room is, all right, so Brian Azzarello was there to talk about Dark Knight 3, the master race. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> it didn't occur to anybody to ask why. Brian, what the fuck, man?
4: <laughs> why are you calling it the master race? <laughs> Go ahead, blame it on Frank.
0: <laughs> and he would. Look. Yeah. Frank may not be what he used to be, but he's still Frank Miller. And yes. the same way the same way when Stan Lee shows up, guys like me'll me, pay a hundred dollars for that four seconds. Frank shows up and says, I'll do Batman but i need someone to help me write it and draw it and what and by the way it's called the master race okay frank you know there's yeah there's a certain dollar amount attached to your name no matter what you do holy
4: terror yeah
0: <laughs> so uh, all right um not we start with with azarello okay so yeah we've got the uh <laughs> and here's where my notes started to fail again this is a uh, entitled azarello basic dark Knight 3 information working with
5: frank miller on uh End of the trilogy of uh, Dark Knight. Um, Andy Kuber and Klaus Jansen are doing the bulk of the art chores right now. There's going to be some other people that are going to be announced soon. Um, till it comes out. uh End of this year, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. It better.
0: better. Yeah, I know. Someone's Christmas
5: bonus depends on
0: it. <laughs> so, all of that we kind of already knew. Here's... One extra piece of information that really doesn't tell you much anyway, but at least it's got a little bit.
6: Oh, okay. We can tell you that it's, it's after... three years after DK2, right? So it's, uh, it picks
5: up
7: sort of where I left off. Sort of, sort of. Sort of. Right. right, right. So go back and reread everything because it's gonna. It's it's very rewarding for people who know the story very well, but. Oh. If you haven't read any of this stuff before, you could jump on this book, too, and just sort of be like, it's just this last great Batman story, so.
0: No, you know, I already read The Last Great Batman Story, and it was in 1986, and it was called Batman The Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> that was always supposed to be The Last Great Batman Story. I want to like your shit, Frank. I really do. So we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> He could he could pull one out of his hat. I mean, certainly he didn't. With it, I will say, the Dark Knight Strikes Again is not as bad as I remember it because I reread it recently.
4: Yeah, but, but
0: lordy, it ain't good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, compared to Dark Knight Returns, nah. it is a it is a story with Batman in it. It is that's pretty much it. So, yes. All right, we are running short on time, so there there are one or two things in here we definitely want to get to, but. Uh, let's see.
4: Well, since we're talking about Batman, why don't we uh, get into... Some of this is information, I think, that we had already kind of heard at C2E2 from Snyder. But um, he he was there to, to discuss the the Batman books.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So here's, here's some of the basics of the latest arc that's going on right now. The whole uh, Bat Bunny, Jim <laughs> Gordon is Batman arc. I hope what you guys can see
7: is the story is deeply about um, what if Batman died... And everyone is kind of trying to fill the void. And part of the story is kind of, what if Batman died and Bruce Wayne came back um, unscarred? And, you know, the deal was, we really felt we'd only do this crazy thing if all of us had better story for our characters through it and on the other side of it. From whether it was Jim Gordon,
0: Bruce Wayne, Alfred, everybody. So, yeah, that's that's not a ton of new information.
4: And um, at the end of, of issue 42, we Jim Gordon
0: finds Bruce Wayne. Yeah, it's so they have seeing each other at the very least i think by now i know yes. at least bruce wayne has has come back and he's doing some volunteer work he's
4: doing some volunteer work but jim gordon shows up in like the back room of whatever wreck place or whatever that is that he's working at <laughs> right
0: so so yeah that story is is hammering along at this point if you're one of the people who i'm sure is out there going oh jesus just when the hell is it going to be batman again uh, here's With sort this. of, here's sort <laughs> of a little tiny hint from my, I'm almost I'm writing it. I'm
7: almost like at the, I'm at the, the tail end of it already. It's, it kills me that it's so fast, but
0: yeah. So if you take into account, most of these books are five, six months ahead of time. Yep. Yeah. We're probably about five, six months out. So it's
4: it's about a year of this that we're going to have.
0: Yeah. So I imagine that we'll have Bruce Wayne back in the Batman suit just in time for, <laughs> for Batman Dark versus 3 Superman and Batman versus Superman, yeah. yeah. So, um,
4: which apparently you you of course saw all over the internet this weekend that Ben Affleck did such a good job in an early screening for Warner Brothers.
0: Uh, oh yeah, that they, that that they they
4: stood up and gave him a standing ovation yeah, they, and demanded that he sign on for three yeah, more they movies.
0: Gave him a standing ovation and a three picture dealer and a nice slow hand job. <laughs> Because with a divorce, really, you got to have priorities. I guess. (laughs) I hope he's... I've been saying he'll be all right the whole time. Uh, You know, I want to believe. Is what they're saying, hyperbole? Fucking, of course it is. But, you know, there's no reason he couldn't do a decent Bruce Wayne, for Christ's sake. I've been saying that all along. I hope it's good. I hope it's awesome. My hope for everybody who said, no, it's going to be shit because I didn't like Man of Steel because I've been standing up for or, Man of Steel all this gonna time. It's going to be shit
4: because I saw the Daredevil movie and, and I have a hair across my ass.
0: Yeah, like- <laughs> which I'll also defend, at least in the director's cut. Yes. So, yeah. Fuck all you people. I hope it's awesome. <laughs> all right, so we, should we move directly through the news until we get to the, the funny shit? So Yes. Um. Yeah, one other uh, hard piece, uh, relative hard piece of news. Here's Jimmy Palmiotti talking about some of the stuff that is going to be happening in Harley Quinn after issue 19.
5: Harley uh,
1: goes out to LA to uh, find somebody's daughter who joined the cult in LA, and uh, it's called Hollywood Wood. Scientology! Because, uh, she, see, and, and, yes, and uh, she goes out there and she deals with, uh, let's just say it's a little bit of Harley Quinn meets every David Lynch movie, <laughs> uh, especially Mulholland Drive. Uh, and they'll understand it when you do see that cowboy in it. Um unless they make us take this out take it out. Uh but we're having some fun with that and she's out there for a couple of issues.
0: So I got one more actually on this. There's a, a little bit more of a tidbit about what uh, Harley actually does in LA.
7: Does Harley like LA? Um
1: Harley has a bit of a um the Walk of Fame. She takes a there's one scene on the Walk of Fame where there's a lot of characters dressed like other superheroes and other characters, and she has a she has a little battle with the Hello Kitty uh, character. It <laughs> doesn't end well. Uh. Awesome.
0: Better than Elmo, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, when it comes to actual hardcore news, that's really just about everything that came out of that panel. There were yeah. one or two other uh, cool things.
4: Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things. Where, um, Mark Doyle had them. Kind of go down the panel and talk about the books that they're working on and and get into any, you know, anything that they they could share about the projects they were working on and then didn't realize that it was only a 45 minute panel rather than a 50 or 55 minute
0: panel. Yeah.
4: So it it was a
0: lot of stuff, you know, about, oh, this is why I like working on this. And and this is how I was approached to work on this book. Yeah. So there were some. The um, Annie story is good on that All right, you want me to do that one? Yeah, the right, so Black Canary artist. Yeah, here's, here's Annie Wu uh, on how she was uh, pitched to do the art uh, on Black Canary and exactly why she said yes.
6: And he was like, I just want to talk to you about a possible DC thing. He was super vague about it. He waited until he was face-to-face. So I didn't have an opportunity to, like, play it cool. And he, like... It gave me the basic pitch of, you know, it's...
0: By the way, he, I, I'm pretty sure if I remember so, right, Brendan. is Brendan Fletcher, the, the yes. writer of the book.
6: Black Canary, rock and roll, kung fu road trip. And then I was just like... Oh, you fell out of your interesting. chair. That's interesting. Yeah. I was just like trying to keep a straight face, but I was yeah, immediately it like... like we're stone Cold
0: that whole yeah. Oh, yeah? yeah? I was super
6: yeah. chill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if she's into it or not. Yeah. <laughs> I was like smoking indoors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I
0: smoking indoors oh, uh, no immediately
6: I was like that sounds like the coolest idea and so um, before I even committed to it I was already thinking of ways to like do something new and interesting with the book and this character that hasn't really had an opportunity to shine on her own in a long yeah. time and so um, yeah it's been really fun working with Brendan and um, I hope people are enjoying it
0: that is when I read the first issue and it was pretty solid we should make yeah. sure that we, we keep up with that do we? I'm not even sure if Issue two is out yet. No, we have it. We have not Okay. All right. Is so there anything else before? There's the one fan kid question that we have to do. Number thirteen.
4: Um, just the follow up, really quick on, and this is where where Annie Wu became my favorite person, possibly in this panel. <laughs> she she describes, um, I guess, Brendan Fletcher. Um, does a really nice job in terms of outreach. We talked about with the IDW panel, the, the relationship and collaboration between art artist and writer and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and everybody approaches it differently. Apparently, uh, Fletcher and Babstar spoke to this as well. Um, we'll reach out and say, well, you know, what are some of the things that you want to draw? So when asked, uh, this is what Annie Wu had to say.
6: <laughs> the First item on my list for Brendan was like, I want to draw a dude that uh, that Dinah punches, and then he his unconscious body crowd surfs away.
0: Like that's the, like, the only thing I want to draw. It now. That that was pretty
4: solid. Yeah. So um, there there that was that was pretty cool. That and the the other cool sound clip before we get to the kid thing. Um, yeah. Ming Doyle is is working as a in the writing capacity
0: on on Constantine the Hellblazer. Yeah, she really wanted, and and I I recognize Alan Moore has implied it's pronounced Constantine. I don't care. We're in Boston, Constantine she kept pronouncing <laughs> it Constantine, and she's from here. She should know better. Go with the flow. Yes, uh. I mean, they,
4: they they pronounce it on the on the failed television show. They pronounced it Constantine. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Technically, she's right, but it's a, uh, but that's it, not the point of this.
4: Yes. So she she makes a comment on how they've they've updated the character.
0: Yes, part part of the retcon uh, after in the in the latest series.
4: Yeah, one of the biggest
6: things that we uh, we did with John with the new June launch is we d de- we gave him a hot, sexy new de aging and brought his age down a little bit. Hey, you just grimaced at me like I don't know about that.
7: That's true. I just don't like that you don't like old
0: people. Yes. God damn it. (laughs) Bring back the goddamn trench coat. Old people in long coats. What's the problem, for fuck's sake?
4: (laughs) No, you'd have to wear a kicky three-quarter length coat. The
0: words kicky and Constantine should not be in the same fucking sentence.
4: (laughs) So um, in the time they had remaining, again, things start to go freeform. So the questions start to kind of go out there. A bit, yeah.
0: <laughs> and there was absolutely one key one. Because how are we doing on time?
4: Oh, you get time. You got time to fire this off.
0: Okay. So yeah, it's we're a, we're
4: not quite at two hours
0: yet. Okay. So yeah, there was one key one, and this is yet another out of the fucking mouths of babes, man.
6: Um, whose
8: idea was it to bring about the new fifty-two, and
6: why? Question. Wow. From the mouths of bees.
5: What do you think, Brian? Yeah, sure. Blame me.
6: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you said that at dinner the other night, and you said, back when I created the new fifty. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time in any convention at a DC panel I've seen even an intimation of anybody being willing to say, even remotely on record... Yeah, maybe we shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Well,
4: it's because it was the first DC panel where that question has come up up, that we've been at that Dan DiDio was also not at where he would immediately jump on it and get defensive.
0: (laughs) But it was also the first one with all those caveats post-convergence where there has been a concerted effort to not only, okay, we're done with the new 52 branding, but we're going to do something different than what the new 52 was intended to do. Yes. But it's... Yeah, it was just.
4: (laughs) It was the way the kid asked the question too. And
0: why? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was, it was a glorious thing to witness. (laughs) So yeah, it was again an an interesting panel. It's an overall good panels at the convention, but the, the tricky part is being right after San Diego Comic Con and not too far ahead of New York Comic-Con, which are big, here's where we're dropping the big announcements, you're not going to get a ton of hard news. Right. You're going to get some tidbits, and in a perfect world, yeah, panels where you can ask a lot of questions, and like in the Marvel Universe panel, yeah, clearly we complained before we started talking about it. They gave us no real information, but by the end of it, just by the end of talking about it, Amanda and I were kicking shit back and forth, just having fun. And that's half of the fun in it.
4: Well, yeah, it's, uh, there, there are conventions that are larger scale that are intended to be PR machines in addition to, to fan service, but PR machines to roll things out and, and to get things out into the entertainment media about up and coming projects and whatnot. Uh, these smaller, more regional panels, uh, they're for the fans.
0: Yeah. They are, they are almost purely for the fans and the people attending the convention, the professionals attending the convention definitely know that. And the cool thing about Boston Comic Con, we've talked a million times, I think we talked at the beginning of this episode about how it used to be,
4: you know... In the basement of some hotel It was hotel in the basement somewhere. of
0: a hotel you know, with, uh, yeah, two or three national-ish creators and uh, a bunch of dudes with their mimeograph fucking comic books trying to sell yeah. them for three bucks a piece. Yep. And now it's become this big thing, and you know, there was a really cool thing Scott Snyder said in this panel that he was not prompted about um, and I hadn't really given a lot of thought uh, at the time but yeah he's been attending this for a few years now yep so yeah this is just a Snyder talking about Boston Comic-Con apropos of almost nothing
7: This is the only con I've come to three years in a row of my own like will where there's some like San Diego where I have to go either way you know or whatever but but Boston is the one I've come to every year I love coming here you guys have been such great great fans <laughs> Greg. I come with Greg. I come Greg every year, and it's been a great chance for us to hang out and go to the aquarium and take goofy pictures. And he wrote literally last night, it was like almost one in the morning, and he was like, I can't believe I'm not there, man. And I was like, you're here in spirit, dude. And so he was like, yeah, he's, he, he sends his love and appreciation for the fact that you guys are, have been so
0: incredibly supportive. I mean, the only thing he was missing was, and Yankees suck. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>
4: I can't believe he didn't uh maybe he's just sort of moved away from it. In, in in Chicago, he couldn't talk about Greg Capullo without trying to also do a Greg Capullo impression, which is sort of like if he
0: was trying to channel D Day from Animal House. Yeah. Like <laughs> like he's trying to do an impression of a walking prolapse. Dude. <laughs> yeah. What's up, man?
4: <laughs> and yeah. So uh it, but it was it was sweet. It was you know, it's nice to hear that folks like to come to our city because you know it, Boston can be challenging for some people, but we also think we're kind of awesome. Yeah. And so. fuck
0: those people! I hope they fall in front of a bus. <laughs> Am I proving the rule? Is that what I'm... Yes. Also, but Yankees it, suck. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, yeah. Look, we're we're never going to be partial, you know, impartial rather about Boston. This is our home. Yeah. Despite hail and rats and the air conditioning failing, <laughs> we we love it here. But. The cool thing about this convention is it's reached a point you can get guys like Snyder and Palmiotti and Annie Wu and Brian Azzarello and Ming Doyle and you, you can get them all there. And because there's no huge news, it really is just sort of talking about the stuff. And it really is about the comics. They certainly do get some celebrities here, but there's panels about how to break into comics and yep. st- 85% of the stuff that you see on the floor is people selling comics or games or, you know, and yeah, there's always one or two different publishers. It's, you no, know, it.
4: We it, saw some, we saw some cool small press. There was, uh, Underbelly Press, which was out of Canada, was down for yeah. like, the first time.
0: Yeah, a Canadian <laughs> shop with a couple of decent graphic novels. I just finished Bullet Gal, which is not bad. Yeah. Um, they had, uh, a wide variety of, of artists
4: that were easy to access and talk to. It, it's a great regional convention. On the one hand, it would be great if it grows. On the other hand, I kind of like it this size because I like having access to the people that we're there to see.
0: Yeah. And it's if you're from out of town and want to come check it out, you can crash with us. Just bring rat poison and a big heavy <laughs> umbrella for hail and uh, maybe, a fan. S- maybe some pig's blood to break this fucking curse. <laughs> <laughs> or there are hotels, I hear. <laughs> there are hotels. All right. So, any anything else about Boston Comic Con before we wrap it up?
4: No, it was it was it was a good time. Um, and it was it was great. Kudos to the organizers of uh, Boston Comic Con this year for creating an experience that made it easier for those of us who enjoy panels to be able to get into the panels. Because we've talked repeatedly on the show about how the convention experience um is a deeply personal kind of thing and there are certain things that that fans will seek out and for for me and i, I don't want to speak for you rob but um no, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a panel person i yeah. like to go to the panels i i like you know we talked about how we would gotten through everything on the floor that we needed to by about halfway through saturday because <laughs> because yeah. at this point like we just have this plan like boom all right hit the floor boom did you get everything Yep, we got everything all right now what and you know, twiddling thumbs waiting for a panel to start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm glad that there are more panels um, available. I'm glad that it's easier to get into the panels. Um, and I, I would like to see this trend continue. So
0: good job there, folks. Yeah, it's gotten better every year. This is the best best year so far. Stick with it. Yes. It's my Greg Capullo. Oh, God. Stick with it. Or I'm having a stroke. High,
4: do you smell burning toast?
0: Uh, yeah, but it could just be uh, the air conditioning or the fans <laughs> quitting. All right, so why don't we wrap this up? Okay. All right, so yes, thank you for listening. Uh, not sure where you found this episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. dot com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. It's facebook dot com slash Midlives. You can certainly. Get messages from there and we're trying to be more active on our various social media. Yes. Even though we're not real good at it. You can find us on Tumblr, uh, tumblr.com slash crisis on No, no,
4: no. Crisis on infinite midlives.
0: com. Oh, thank you. That clearly we're not that good at social media. <laughs> we're on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. Look at you remembering stuff. I know. And then forgetting other stuff. I'm running out <laughs> of room in my brain. Uh, we uh, can be emailed. You can email us crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail dot com. You can yes. find the show on iTunes. If you do find it there, do us a favor, uh, give us a review, uh, shoot us a rating. Helps other people find the show, and it's nice hearing from listeners in any capacity. Yes, you know, other than at the other end of a gunshot. <laughs> We are on TuneIn Radio. Uh, we are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Did I miss anything? I think you got everything huh? All right, then that will do it. This has been episode 82 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Um, whose idea was it to bring
8: about the new 52 and why? <laughs>